Hello, everyone. Welcome to Developing Palettes. I'm Aaron Loomis coming to you from the Drew Estate Studio. With me today is John McTavish. How are you doing, John? I'm doing well. It's um, it's funny because we sent all of our crappy weather sort of east. Uh, it was like it was like minus two here for a stretch, and then in typical Calgary fashion, we went from minus two to 54 degrees in a 12-hour period while the sun was down. So yeah, so you know things are good. How about you? Yeah, not too bad. A uh, little bit of rain, but we've—I think we've got some clear skies for a while, so it's yes. nice. Um, yeah, smoking no, outside. No, no balloons flying over my house. That's cool. <laughs> well, um, what are they going to yeah. see anyway? They're just going to see smoking cigarettes. Yeah, not the. Yeah, I, yeah, exactly. Sixty thousand feet, baby. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I think everything's been good. No, you know. Um, so tonight we're doing our twenty twenty two. Uh, Cigar Media Recap Show. This is the seventh time that we've uh, done this. And I think uh, the two guests we've had have been on um, a fair number of those. Maybe the majority are, I think, in Coop's case, all of them, actually. So that's a good run. So we'll call him the Iron Man for for, uh, for the moment. But uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to introduce them uh, the way that I see them on my screen from left to right. So uh, first off, uh, from Half Wheel is Charlie Minato. Charlie, welcome back to the Recap Show. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. And then William Cooper from Cigar Coop. How you doing, Will? Hey, Aaron. You know, 2020 was the one I almost missed. I was in Denver and I had a meeting that ran late, but I still made it. So I guess it, it counts for the Iron Man Street. Yeah. That's the one you had Perfect. to do from the hotel room, right? And you couldn't smoke? Yeah. 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 Yep. yep. I remember that. I yep. could see that. I could see it written all over your face. You're like, maybe I should light up. Maybe I should light up. Maybe it won't, won't, be, won't be that bad. <laughs> No, I know, I know, and I, I was the good citizen, and I didn't. Mm-hmm. It's not an edible. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that'd, yeah, that'd be a fun sight to see, I think. Yep. <laughs> Hour two of the show keeps going live, so. Right. Um, so uh, Seth and June may join us a bit later. They have some, um, you know, home, home life things that are going on that sometimes get in the way, so uh, they may join, they may not, but uh, we'll get going without them for the moment. Uh, so for those of you that may be new to this show, uh, this gives us a chance to kind of recap uh, 2022 as a whole, just from the, the media side of things. Uh, I know that um, sometimes some of the manufacturers or brand owners like to yell at the screen and say that we got it really wrong and that we don't know what we're talking about and they have a very different opinion and that that's fine. We'll talk to them at other times and kind of get that uh, that sense. But this is uh, a chance for us to, I guess, rile people up and, and things like that. So a lot of people find it fun. So. Uh, we're going to continue the tradition uh, doing that. Yeah, exactly. Um, so what we typically start off with is talking about uh, surprises in a positive fashion uh, for cigars or brands from 2022 that, uh, you know, maybe it's a cigar that we hadn't heard of or something like that going into it. We came across it. We really enjoyed it. Something that we knew was coming, but didn't expect it to maybe enjoy it as much as we did. Things of that nature are brands that just really had it, uh, maybe an outstanding year that um, maybe people didn't see coming and things like that. So uh, I'm just going to I'm going to call people to get it going because sometimes when I just leave it open, nobody wants to jump in and go first. So uh, I'm going to start with John. Ooh. John, do you have any cigars or brands that you thought were surprising in a positive way in 2022? So I'll start with a cigar, uh, and I have a few, but the one that um, I keep coming back to is the Curvari Buenaventura B B554, and I think that's probably my inherent bias because I kind of looked at this cigar when we had it in the review lineup, and I'm like, I have no feelings about this brand in 
end of this review at all. And then I looked at the, the cigar and I'm like, nothing about this sort of, you know, like nothing about this get, gets my attention. And then I lit it up and I was like, oh, okay, this is interesting. And then it continued to be interesting through the whole cigar. And then, you know, after, cause I tend to, um, I tend to smoke with the least amount of information possible. So I'd manage my own biases. And then I looked it up afterwards. I think it's like $7 and 50 cents. And I was like, okay, I mean, that's going to be a great talking point for the rest of the year to say like, here's a great smoking experience, great construction, great flavor. And it's $7 and 50 cents. So, um, you know, kind of a standout for me for sure. How about you, Charlie? Any, any cigars that really jumped out at you this, this past year? Yeah, I mean, I think I was on the show last year, probably, maybe the year before, but uh, certainly have publicly spoken about um, some disappointments from Warped, and uh, Half Wheel's number two cigar of the year was the Companion Day Warped, um, which was a very good cigar um, when smoking it. Not surprised that it you know finished high on Half Wheel's list, but uh, yeah, that, that definitely threw me for a curveball. Um, I don't think anything really comes close to that. I mean, that was a brand that that had sort of consistently just been like uh, really liked the first year of Warped 2.0 and hadn't liked a lot of what had come since then. Nothing bad per se, just a overpriced and, and I think oftentimes much closer to average than I'd like it to be. But uh, Companion to Warped stood out and uh, also, you know, I think amongst the more affordable stuff in Warped's portfolio or one of the more affordable things. Right. How about you, Coop? And you're muted, sorry. Rookie move. All right, from a cigar standpoint, I'm going to go with the Alfonso as a big surprise. Now, it, I know it was Charlie's number one cigar. It was a few number ones it made. It was too late for my window. But, you know, when you have a company like uh, Selected Tobacco and they've had success with Atabay and maybe the Byron to a lesser extent, sometimes when you're on your fourth brand, it's kind of tough to really top things. So I, I didn't have the expectations of that cigar Um going out of the gate but that cigar really really delivered and uh, was a big big surprise that that i think definitely is the best cigar they've done at this point and they did find a way to top out in my opinion so that was um this from a cigar single cigar I'll, I'll give it to alfonso you know from a brand or i'll say company oliva really surprised me this year because i don't think anyone expected oliva i mean we knew that cuba aliados was coming but i don't think any of us maybe charlie had a clue on this that they were going to be going to two other countries to make these cigars namely honduras and the dominican republic so that was something that we just i just didn't expect to see from oliva especially they spent a lot of time expanding their factory you know, EPC did it, right? But EPC's had capacity issues, right? So I could see it makes sense for EPC to go to Placencia for the inch and uh, to Oliva for the uh, Allegiance. But I, I didn't see Oliva this coming with Oliva at all. So that was a big surprise to me. Yeah. What about you, Eric? Uh, yeah, so honestly, for me, this year was the um, Alec Bradley Trilogy up in at Corojo. Um, and, uh, you know... Uh, I never, I didn't smoke any of the original trilogies that had come out previously, so I didn't, I don't have a reference point for that. But um, and th this is the only one of the three that actually kind of jumped out for me at all. The other two I didn't really care for that much, but for some reason this one just I kind of hit on all cylinders for me, and I just I don't know that I was expecting that um, from it. It was the first one I smoked of the three, so uh, maybe it, that's what kind of did it and set the other two, or they just didn't impress as much because I got started off on such a high note. But um, I just thought it was a really well done cigar. Um, 
I mean, the, the shape doesn't really have much of an effect when you're smoking it because the, the head uh, doesn't really have that kind of a drastic shape to it. So uh, it's not like it's a, a weird cigar to smoke. It's just kind of a bit odd to sit in the humor. But I think we've all been conditioned to, to that now with how the Yagua has been kind of a uh, we have an annual release. So you kind of get used to some of that weird shape stuff. But they 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 all they handle the head nicely and things like that. So I can't I don't I never smoked smoked the, the diamond shapes. Ago. I don't remember if that was similarly shaped where it wasn't as drastic at the head. But anyway, this one, you know, didn't have anything like that. So, uh, yeah, that was just a cigar that um, I really enjoyed this year. And and was pleased to see that. So um, got this interesting biscotti note from the from the foot on the prelate and all that stuff. We just but I got that from all three of the cigars, but the only the crow had a uh higher level type of smoking experience. Um I'll kind of open it up now for any other cigars that anybody wants to jump in on and then we can also get into the, some of the brands of the you know surprising brands for this year. So I get a bit of a list there, John. Yeah, I also had the uh the Roma's annual release where they released the sizes uh in the Catador. So this was the this year's release was the El Catador to Las Coronas. Um, I didn't actually do any reviews in them, which is you know kind of on me. But uh, I've been slowly working through them, and honestly, you know, cause I think typically I like I like that Roma can do larger ring gauge stuff, and it typically hits for me. And they can do uh, longer cigars and shorter cigars, and so it's interesting that you know they do a thinner ring gauge format, and it's still you know quite good in. All, I mean, I've only smoked half of them, but all of the half that I've smoked have been quite good. So definitely um, definitely should be on my list to review the next release sizes for 2023, I think. Yeah. Charlie or Coop, any other cigars that kind of jumped out at you this year? Uh, I mean, cigar-wise, 1502, Anniversario 10, 10 Anniversario. I don't really remember the, the full naming convention. Right. Um, but yeah, that was a surprising cigar, I think, on a number of fronts. Um, it finished sort of mid-pack for us on Half Wheels Top 25. That's a cigar that uh, comes from Global Premium Cigars, the 1502 brand, who has extensively worked for with Placencia to have yeah. its cigars produced. And that cigar came from AJ, who I think has one of the more defined signature profiles. Mm -hmm. I feel like, you know, I don't think any of us really engage in all that much blind tasting, but I feel like if we had to do factory blind tastings, AJ's stuff would a lot of times be easy to spot. Um, yeah. And that cigar didn't have that. It, it was a lot more restrained, um, didn't have the sort of power for the sake of having power that I feel like a lot of AJ cigars has um, or have. So that one stood out in a positive way. But I bet the construction um, really was think... excellent. Uh, I don't really know what joke you're making, nor do I remember no, because what the, the construction was. <laughs> the joke probably... we always make is that um, when we take a puff, we're like, oh, this is from AJ's factory. But the good news is the construction is always like it does perfectly and it burns perfectly. So, you know, that's really nice because we'll get into that, but that's not always the case for some brands. Uh, yeah, unfortunately. But no, I mean, looking back over our top 25 list, I mean, I think the only thing I think we sort of poked fun at this during the show, uh, our show at least, the Aladino Cameroon Gordo uh, finished mm -hmm. ahead of the Aladino Cameroon Lancero from last year's list, which... I think if you told Brooks, Patrick, and I, and Brian Burt 10 years ago that we were going to have six by 60s in the same blend outperforming Lanceros, we would have questioned the future of, of Half Wheel. Yeah, and I have to get was. my hands on that one because I enjoyed the two previous Vitolas uh, yeah. that we put, had to put on our list. So um, I just didn't get around to the Gordo this year, but I, I've, I've liked that blend in, in the other sizes. So uh, I'm up, I'm game for it. So I'm sure Coop's all over this since it's big, big ring gauge. So it was good. It was very good. I've had it. All right. 
Very there good. you go. So we so we can't possibly smoke the wrong ring gauge size because you've, 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 you've <laughs> so given it the, the coop blessing. Right. I have given that one a blessing. Yes. All right, Coop. Any other cigars for you? Well, I think this one has to be on there, even though some people will say it's a 2021 release, but it was a 2022 release. And it's Paladin de Saka, especially <laughs> since I killed Sin Compromiso. I didn't like Sin Compromiso. I killed the fact that this was on the consensus last year. But when I smoked Paladin de Saka, it was a hell of a cigar. It was really good. It was one of Steve's best cigars. So I got to give it its due. That was a fan. That surprised me. I didn't expect it to actually rank as high as it would have at the end of the year with that one. So I definitely had um, that one at the top. Uh, another cigar that I didn't see this one coming, but I know you guys were high on it. Um, I think all you guys had it on the list. And again, it was kind of too late for me was the My Father Labors You 100 Años. Um, I, that was an incredible cigar. It's, some, it's probably one of the best cigars Pepin's released um, in a long time, in my opinion. So, and, it, and it's surprising because, you know, you go into that and if you've enjoyed the original, I know probably everyone on this panel smoked and enjoyed the original. When you see a follow-up to that, you're like, uh, is it going to be as good as the original? You know what I mean? Or is it just going to be a shadow uh, of... It, yeah, it goes back to trying to top. Like, I think it's top when you have something really good. It's hard to top it, right? And I kind of have had that feeling a lot of times that, you know, Libby Hugh is, is, is a great line, but but they did a great – that was a – both Vitolas. You you couldn't go wrong with either Vitola with that one, in my opinion. Um, You know, I'm, I'm looking at cigars like Alfonso and, and the 100 Años, and I'm looking at top cigars already for this year for me. You know, just they would they would act good. Yeah, and um, talking about brands, and that was kind of our feeling early, early on in the year because we were talking a little bit in the green room, and one of the – one of the brands that, uh, percentage-wise, I cannot recall a time where we've reviewed this many cigars. First of all, from a single brand, and then the number of cigars that we reviewed were all consistently in the good mark, and that was Tatuaje, which you know Pete makes good stuff, but I don't expect them to put out uh, seven cigars and for you know five of those seven to be good. Like they're you know they're enjoyable, but like everyone I'd smoke, I'm like. Am I going to be that guy this year where I have, you know, five Tatwais on my list? And, and, and yeah. What's wrong with that? Well, people start to question, you know, your, your, um, your, uh, authenticity, you know, they're like, well, you're just a Tatwai fanboy. And it's like, well, it's hard not to be a Tatwai fanboy when he puts out, you know, five good cigars. And he did. They were all consistently good. Um, the other brand I, the other brands I had on here was, uh, Ferro Tago. Um, you know, I've been, I've been, I've, the stuff that, um, that he's done in the past hasn't hit for me. Um, and you know, I think it, one of the standouts was the fact that a largely Dominican blend hit for both Seth and I. So that, that alone should be an award because usually he and I are on the opposite ends of what we enjoy for a Dominican blend. And then, uh, the knuckle sandwich with the, the Guy Fieri brand. Um, you know, I think we've all seen a lot of collaborations with, uh, sports people with actors with you know big name celebrities and to be honest most of them have just kind of been flashes in the pan and this is the first one in a long time where you know it seems legitimate the cigars seem good and uh, it seems like it's going to stick around which um, you know to be frank if it can make it for two years I think it probably sets a record for celebrity collaborations that you know, continue to do well in the marketplace. 
I'd like to go back to the Taiwahe thing for a second, just mm. because like I I'm surprised it's taken me this <laughs> long to come to this sort of comparison. But you know, when you like look at sports leagues, they have you know they'll do an All Star game or whatever, and a lot of them have a requirement basically yeah. to get fans to care more about it that at least one player from every team has to make the All Star list. Uh -huh. Um. And, you know, there, there are certain lists that sort of construct themselves that way where they limit down, you know, only one per company or whatever. Yep. But the reality is, is that it may, kind of makes sense. And, and we had a, a year, maybe three or four years ago, where Taiwan had five of the cigars on our top 25. And it's like, look, sometimes these brands just have a really good year when it yep, comes yep. to making cigars. Yep. And when that happens, it makes sense that there's five Taiwahes on your yep. top 25. Yep. Like, maybe pepin you know just and and Jaime with the growing tobacco that they got and the the, the wrappers they bought and the blending that pete was able to do with that tobacco like maybe they just hit it out of the park and so yep. you know i think if you're a consumer sitting at home going that's a taiwahe fanboy sure if if every year john puts five taiwahes on the list then that argument seems true but if it's one year where it goes from one or two taiwahes one or two taiwahes one or two taiwahes and then all of a sudden five taiwahes that should suggest that either uh, it's been a really, really good year for Taiwahe or, you know, John got a whole bunch of whiskey sent to him um, <laughs> by Taiwahe. One of the two. But um, which I will you know. I will absolutely accept whiskey, wine, any sort of alcoholic beverage. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> I, I appreciate, though, Charlie, that you mentioned, because I think, you know, sometimes when we talk about brands, <clears throat> we. we gloss over the fact that it's also coming out of the my fa my father factory there's also a tobacco into that and you know it's not pete blending good cigars although he's obviously clearly capable of that it also requires a factory to do a good job for them to source good tobacco so yeah impressive yeah here. and the fact that my you know my my father also produced you know good cigars this year as well it just kind yeah. of seems like a year that they did really well in so it would make sense there's like yeah. trying to say there's no reason that uh, a company should be penalized for I agree with doing that well across you know across multiple releases like that you have to limit them to one like okay and then limit them to one and maybe they have a couple of gears that they just don't make it and then it seems like they, you know where where did they you know they've only had one good cigar in the last five years like no this one year they put out six good cigars but you guys didn't want to recognize that so that can happen sometimes yeah, and also like the idea if you're going to limit it and say, okay, well, Pete had a really good year, but he only gets one cigar in my top 25. Yeah, that sometimes can be like a, it's misleading. Like that's no longer the 25 best cigars, however right. you want to define it. But also like some years, and you see it again, sports, you know, parallel. Like not everyone can be the best player in the league, and not every team can have. You know, you look at like the San Francisco uh, you know, 49ers roster. They had a whole bunch of top, top, top tier players and then pieces around them. But there are other rosters in the NFL that have a whole bunch of very good players. They may not be excellent, but they've got six or seven of them. Like, you know, and if you say, OK, well, we're only going to recognize the best of those six or seven. That might be an 11th or a 12th place, but they may have reasonably the 11th, the 13th, the 15th, the 20th, the 22nd. Like they should get rewarded for that and certainly not glossed over simply because you want to make the look make the list more palatable either to you know readers or or to advertisers or, or manufacturer relationships and things like that um and you know i, I think that uh at least the lists that are represented here generally speaking have you know guided more towards we're going to put what we think is truly the best 25 cigars on the list but obviously you know and i'm sure we'll talk about it more in the consensus end 
there are a lot of lists where it's very clear and, and sometimes even publicly stated like, well, my third cigar would have been this foundation Olmac, but right. I already had the other Olmac on it, so I couldn't put yeah. both of them on. <clears throat> and it's like, okay, uh, I don't know why you couldn't, but cool. Yeah. Yeah. And, or, or I only reviewed cigars from three companies, so that's why I have three companies on my list. I heard, yeah. I heard that one this year. Yeah, but at least in that case, you put the best cigars from those three companies on the list. Yeah, like, true, no. true. Yeah. All right, Coop, any uh, standout brands for you this year? Um, you know, I think Casada had a great year still. I think a lot of it, uh, I think the last two years, they've had a very good year in terms of the products they've been releasing. Um, stuff coming out of the factory as well. We've seen it with the Ferritega Eldancia. So I think they had, a, I think they had a, a very, very good year. You know, I think they just still need to get their products into more people's hands right now because yep. they are, they are doing some good stuff. Charlie, any standout brands for you? Uh, you know, look, I, Romacraft continues to just, I think, be, uh, knocking on the door of cementing itself in a place that, uh, you know, very few brands can reach in terms of consistency um, and overall quality. Um, I think I mentioned it at some point, but like, you know, Romecraft's one of these brands now that I consider alongside a Davidoff, a Padron, a Fuente, where it, it may not be the absolute best cigar in the world, but I'm pretty confident each and every time I pick up something from Romacraft that I'm going to get the same cigar that I smoked last time. And, you know, because it's the same cigar that I smoked last time, I, I know which ones I like and which ones I really like. And so um, I would say that they had a, a particularly standout year sort of across the board. And and obviously those other companies, Davidoff, Fuente, Padron, that's the standard for non-Cuban cigar manufacturers. And quite frankly, I think the standard for, for all cigar manufacturers. Um, and I don't think any of the three of them had bad years. Um, when it came to producing cigars. I'll just kind of open up if anybody has any other cigars or brands they want to mention on the positive side before we go to Negative Town. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, so let's go to the not-so-hot list for 2022. And uh, I'll leave it open to either, whether it's cigars or brands. Uh, we can mix it up and kind of go from there. Um, I'm going to start out with you, Coop, because I know you're the most negative of the group. So right. um, what? <laughs> any cigars or brands that just didn't do it for you in 2022? Yeah, let's start with brands. Uh, I got to put STG on that list this year. Um, they released somewhere close to 60 releases, depending on how you count it. Justin said I was pretty close. And there was just of those releases, nothing stuck to the wall. And there was nothing out there that I could say was memorable. There was nothing that I, I saw get a uh, a buzz. It, it just was a lot of mediocre core lines, mediocre limited releases. And when you're releasing that much, look, I'll give them that much credit. They brought that much stuff to market, but to not have anything come out of that this year, you could say, wow, you know, we, we should be really proud of this thing. And this could be something that we can really build on. They just didn't have I mean, that have that this year. Hmm. So I just think I don't know. They really missed the mark this year, and I, I don't. And I've I've told I I gave Justin direct feedback on this too, and he did you know, so he knows it. But um, and I don't want to say he agreed or disagreed, but he's just, you know, I think it's a fair I think it's a fair comment I made to him on that. I just yeah, it was a, they were a big miss for me this year. How about you, Charlie? Any cigars or brands that were misses in twenty twenty two? Yeah, I mean, I'm looking at our numbers review spreadsheet because my memory is not great when it comes to things like this. Um, and yeah, I mean, general SCG not doing well um, on our list. I don't 
you know, I've always, I've, I think, long publicly said that my opinion is that general just throws things at the wall and sees what sticks. And, yeah. you know, every once in a while, they hit an absolute home run with CAO Amazon Basin. And sometimes they hit some doubles um, and you get the, you know, punch American Chinese food nonsense. And other times we get singles or pop outs. Um, but yeah, I don't, I mean, numerically speaking, Hoyt and Nicaragua has killed half wheels list these past few years five years it's been an incredible run they had a a down year but it's tough i look at this thing and it's we had two re regular reviews of hoyt nicaragua products so mm -hmm. i i don't like we reviewed two new cigars from them and they didn't score all that well i don't know what that necessarily means in the overall yeah. scheme of things um yeah i Looking at the bottom of this list, nothing really stands out as like surprising as, you know, oh, I can't believe they're down here. Um, and I think a lot of that has to just do with the math. Like the sample size is so limited. All it takes is one bad review and yeah. the other three likely aren't going to be able to, to help it out. Um, but yeah, Hoya would be the one like negative surprise, I would say, that came out of that numbers review. Just But that's because of how high that bar was set for the last yeah. four or five years. Absolutely. That's the thing where you get, you have that big run and then you just have that one. Yeah, not even necessarily considered a down year, but just like a an average year, and it's like what they just didn't show up at this point. But it it'll it'll work out for them as time goes on. Uh, John, um, as a brand, I think Illusione was a little disappointing for me because, like, when I think about consistent brands, um, that's one of the more consistent brands for me. Where I feel like I can just randomly, I mean, their core line, I can literally pick up a random Illusione, and I'm like, I'm gonna have a great experience, like. Sad and seen, I could close my eyes, pick one off the shelf, I'm good. And I found this year, uh, especially with the Allegria, I know other people really enjoyed it. It, it was kind of a miss for me. Um, I, di I didn't feel like it was, uh, I don't know if you want to say a core illusion experience, but like I, I didn't um, connect with the brand like I normally would with a lot of their other offerings. So that was kind of off-putting. Um, the sort of yin and yang for me this year was West Tampa, um, which was, you know, one of the sort of major talked about brands all year, even when we were at the show and after the show. Um, but for me, the cigars were kind of, both cigars, the black and the white, were kind of a miss. Um, you know, neither one, uh, and, and we always say on our show constantly, they weren't bad, it's just they weren't standouts. So, like, you know, you go into it and you're like, you know, it's a cigar and it's constructed well and it smoked fine. Um, but nothing about it sort of compelled me to want to light up another one. So that was um, that was kind of disappointing because, you know, I guess I was expecting more. Um, and then the last one I had, because uh, we did a couple of releases for La Polina this year with the Kill Bill Series 3 and the 125 Annuals, and both of those were, were misses for me as well. So, unfortunately. All right, yeah. Um, I'd almost put... For me, I'd almost put Oliva on the list, um, kind of opposite from Coop. I know that, you know, great uh, set of releases and things like that in regards to, like, new stuff. But just for me, that they they just didn't work out. The 135th anniversary uh, wasn't all that great, in my opinion. Um, I definitely wasn't a big fan of the two Cuba Aliados releases. Uh, the uh, Ernesto version really didn't make sense to me based on the price compared to the Honduran version. I thought they were pretty much on equal footing, and I don't understand why you'd pay almost double for one than the other. Well, the, um, the timing was bizarre. 
Yeah, so. Aaron, that's a fair comment about the EPC one. That disappointed me, even though I was surprised what the brand did. That that's yeah. what I did underwhelming. I'll, I'll go. I mean, I, look, I'm all for res- you know them purchasing the brand and want to resurrect it and all that stuff. I'm I'm all for it. Um, the uh, the Honduran version is exactly what I expected from kind of the original, you know, re- rebranded version of this. Like that's what I thought the cigar was going to be. So I wasn't disappointed in that. Uh, seemed like that's what I expected. The price point seemed reasonable, but smoking the EPC one, I was just I was completely lost on that one. I just didn't understand the price point. Um, I didn't understand what was so was supposed to be special about that one compared to the other one. So it was just kind of I I just didn't get it. Um, so it was just kind of it's just a, a weird relationship there with them and EPC and the Allegiance side, the flip flop, all that stuff. Um, kind of going along with John uh, with the La Polina, the 125 años, also an Oliva product. It just didn't. It wasn't, I didn't think all that great. So just for that, for me, it was just not uh, that, that, that great of a year for Oliva. So um, um, any other cigars or brands that kind of disappointing in 2022? I got a, got a couple of other brands here. Yeah. Uh, Davidoff was, Davidoff did not do well for, oh, John, your mic is cutting in and out. Just here, aware of that. All right. Thank you. Appreciate it. Okay. Yep. Um, Davidoff really uh, did not do well this year with me. They were one of the lowest scoring uh, brands this year. For, I did. You know, I did. Someone. I did have them on my list as well, Coop. I'm glad you picked yeah. up that torch. Thank you. Yeah, I mean, it was just nothing that even got over a 90 this year from them. Uh, the Camacho Unleashed Two was a big disappointment. I know it got value cigar year with Dojo. It just didn't do it for me. Um, so I was quite disappointed what I saw out of Davidoff this year. None of none of the LEs really stood out for me that they've done. Year of the Tiger was also a disappointment for me from a cigar standpoint. I know a lot of people liked it, just didn't click with my palate for whatever reason on that. And then the other company that they even did worse than Davidoff, and I haven't had uh, – is, is Southern Drawers really, really falling down the last couple of years. I, I don't – you know, I don't know what's going on there, but – you know, the stuff that was coming out three or four years ago was, was really good stuff. Um, now it's just the stuff has just been clearly inferior quality uh, from a flavor and construction standpoint. I, you know, I don't know what's going on there, but um, I've been quite disappointed from Southern Draw this the past 12 months. Charlie, do you have any other ones? Yeah, I have one. It's not a company per se, but the factory formerly known as TAPSA uh has been an inconsistent uh, problem for Half Wheels reviews over the last couple of years. I do think that it got better in the second half of 2022, but that may also be a limited sample size. But in the transition between 2021 and early 2022, there were three different releases from multiple different companies that that, that factory makes cigars for where I have no idea how the boxes that we purchased possibly could have passed quality control. Mm. There was an Illusion ATA release where half the box showed up box pressed and the other half didn't. Um, I just reviewed that cigar today, actually. It did terrible. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, it's uh, that was one that stood out where we had some really high scores um, from that factory. I think they placed three cigars on our top 25. Um, but then there were some ones where... It was just, uh, you know, quality control was just nowhere to be found. And uh, like I said, I, it seems like in the second half of the year, we we improved that. Um, I wasn't a huge fan of the one-off Plus 53 Robusto, but uh, that was certainly a major step in the right direction from the 
is this cigar supposed to be box pressed box of cigars that we purchased uh, yeah. about a year prior? Um, another brand for me that uh, I just don't understand is uh, Freud, um, Super Ego, the Agape. Um, I I just don't know. Um, maybe is it like the, the philosophical issues or? Yeah, I, I guess. <laughs> is this is a cigar just a cigar? I mean, because this isn't really a cigar to me. Either one of these. Um, maybe I, maybe we smoked the wrong Vitola in the Super Ego. We smoked the. Lonsdale, Lancero, whatever it was. Um, maybe that was the wrong one. Coop will tell us later. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I didn't get that one. And then uh, the one that Eladio did that was 30 bucks. I, was, I just, I don't know. I Maybe I had a, an unachievable expectations, but that I was not expecting the not, uh, not good experience I had. So, I don't know, John, I think you smoked the Agape and you kind of liked it. but um, Yeah, I liked it, but um, you know, and we'll get into this with another topic, but gosh, again, you know, you talk about a $30 price point. Um, I, I feel like in a lot of cases, you might be setting yourself up for an expectation that you can't meet both from a flavor perspective, but also from a construction perspective. Because while if I'm smoking a 750, 850 cigar and I have to do a relight or I have to do a touch up, I, I honestly don't care provided the flavor is there. But when I start to get over the $25 mark, if I have to touch my lighter at any point, it's, it's, actually, it's actually factoring in my mind of why am I touching my, my torch on a cigar that is four times the price of something else where I didn't. And I, you know, I feel, unfortunately, that you've, you've kind of put yourself in a position of an all or nothing situation where either it's perfect or it's a zero. And maybe that's unfair, but... I do feel that once you get into that sort of super premium category, you're kind of, you're kind of setting yourself up for that. I, I agree with you, Aaron, on Freud. And that came in with high expectations. In fact, that's another review I just finished in the last week. And it definitely for what they came in with, with the super ego and the agape, a, a luxury premium brand, it did not perform like a luxury premium brand should. It was definitely below expectations with that. Um, I, you know, and I, I, so I, I agree with you on that. Um, you guys mentioned West Tampa. I was disappointed with the West Tampa releases. I know it got they got a lot of fanfare. I just didn't see it. I mean, I'm I'm actually very surprised they did as well as they did on a lot of end of year lists because I just didn't see those cigars as that good. Yeah, the the black and the white. I don't. I didn't. Wasn't a big fan of. Um, I'm not head over heels on over the attic series, uh, but. It's it was I thought it was a step above those two initial releases, but I, I still don't think it's anything that's mind blowing. But it it did seem a bit of a step up. So. Yeah, I'm trying to figure out which is a bigger disappointment though, West Tampa or Freud. And I'm still leaning a little more towards Freud because of the price points. On I think cigars. the price point makes it an easy yeah. call. Yeah, I don't. The two of them. Yeah, yeah, that's an easy economic decision. You can right you there. can argue West Tampa is not an expensive cigar, so. No. Uh, and it made a lot of end of your lists. And, well, I understand why Freud didn't make a lot of your name. That just wasn't going to get on lists with that price. Point. It probably was smoked by so few. Unless unless they people. sent out samples to the media, then then it would have made the list. But right. it didn't. Right. West Tampa didn't send out samples to the media, but it was an affordable cigar where people can go pick it up. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. We'll get to that. I know we have a lot to talk about with that. Yeah, and probably in the retailers, I think that would carry are probably more likely to carry them just based on Rick's relationship with them previously. Yeah. Compared yeah, to a new I mean, brand, you know, so. Yeah, and he did, by the way, he did a pretty, he launched a lot of products internationally too this year. 
um, and, and had some success with that. So people, he spent a lot of time with the European market this year. Yeah, I don't know if we talked about it on, I certainly had this conversation at some point with, I feel like media folk, but maybe not publicly. But I, I no, I take that back. I think it was on the show post PCA with Abe and Skip. That yeah, show. the recap, yeah. Yeah, I think I mentioned like, don't discount the idea that Rick Rodriguez has spent however many years now doing hundreds of in-store events yeah. around the country. Yeah. And I'm pretty sure probably around the world to some degree. And like, he's inevitably met a lot of cigar media people through those events or through yep. trips to yep. general hosts and things like that. And, you know, not to discount the quality of cigars that Drew Estate or Hoyt Nicaragua or Foundation or Dunbarton make. But part of the reason I think why the, the, those brands have done so well on the consensus is not just sending out free samples, but also the idea that so many of the media members, because of those companies' relationships to Drew Estate, yep. have had face-to-face -face interactions and feel like they have, you know, sort of longer-term relationships with somebody, uh, you know, like a Steve Soccer or Nicholas and certainly like Rick Rodriguez versus somebody like Luis at Freud who, yeah, if you were in the New York area or were in the Davidoff stores in New York City a lot or the Costa Monte Cristo stores for the tenure that he had there, maybe you interacted with him and, and I certainly did over the years, but I don't think that that is akin to what Rick Rodriguez was doing for a much longer period of time and many, many more events. Yeah, that's a good point. That's a very good point as well. And, you know, Nick, Nick Molly, like I said, he doesn't send samples out, but you remember a lot of people went on those factory tours and Nick was a big part of those factory tours. He was with everyone for the whole like safari and everything. So those relationships definitely built up and people go to the show. He gives all the media time at the show. So, you know, I wouldn't. Yeah, but think back, think back to when Nick was on those tours and think of how much media still exists from that time. Right. Yeah. Or how many people like knew. Well, that's true. A lot was. of them gone probably. Yeah. Yeah. A lot. So but, that, that media crowd has shriveled significantly. But I'll say, again, if you go to the trade show, he's, he makes a lot of these guys, you know, he makes all us all feel good when you go to that. Yeah. Sure. Well, yeah. I mean, yeah. You don't get, you don't, you don't get turned away from his booth. I mean, he says hi. And, yeah. he, you know, yeah. he, well, this the, like the aforementioned list of people who go out of their way to, you know, be friendly yeah. and genuinely have a conversation and, and take the time out of their very busy schedules to actually sit down and talk with media. So, yeah. yeah. It makes a difference. Yeah. yeah, I know we're gonna get to the sample piece a little later, John. So I'll hold <laughs> up on that. Yeah, so yeah, we'll hold up on that. Oh, we get free samples on the show? Well, <laughs> well not a cigar. I mean, yeah, but, not a cigar. Uh, we, we, we <laughs> had, Gunna had a very spirited debate post consensus on 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 samples. So yeah, yeah, wanna, it was good. It was I don't want to derail us too much. Yeah, it's, it was really free, good. Free salt yeah. samples. Free salt samples. Salt, salt. Yes. <laughs> nice coffee cups, you know. Coffee cups move the dial for me. I'm I'm a simple guy. Yeah, no. Yeah. Yeah. Depending on what they are. That's yeah. right. Yep. All right. Uh let's uh well, maybe we're not moving off of negative town, but we'll uh <laughs> move away from the disappointment section of the show and we'll kind of get into some trends. This may be a short, very short segment or may take a little bit of time, but we'll kind of get into it. And this is just kind of did you feel that there were any trends uh that you saw in 2022? Could be related to particular cigars, uh marketing. Uh, factories, what anything related to the cigar industry that you maybe maybe saw as a trend in 2022? And I know sometimes people like to always jump on it's you know a certain type of tobacco or a certain vitola, but that that may not that never is the case. I don't think. But any anybody saw any trends in 2022 that kind of stood out to you? And I'll just kind of open it up if anybody wants to jump in. 
Tell you we're not allowed to talk about prices. Oh, of absolutely, course. go for it. Yeah. yeah. Are we doing that conversation now or later? Let's do it now. Yeah. Uh, I don't think there's really much to say here. Prices of cigars have gotten to be, particularly for new cigars, have gotten to be outrageous. Um, and more to the point, uh, the Freud conversation that we had earlier, there are a bunch of companies that are coming out with cigars at $25, $30, $35, $50, who don't have the reputations that necessarily precede them in that regard. And to John's point, that sets a bar, and it's a very high bar to clear, and it rarely happens. I mean, it, it you know, it, it took Padron a while to get to a point where they could successfully tell people that their cigars were worth $25, $30, you know, 10 years ago. Um, and that was built off of so much consistency and marketing helps and, you know, awards and things like that. But it, it it's not, I don't find it to be like appalling or offensive um, as a consumer or as someone that purchases cigars, but boy, is it happening a lot more. And, you know, I, I think that uh, I'm sure everyone's got a lot to say about this, but I'll, I'll just bring this point up. Like when Placencia, who has been in, involved in the, the tobacco industry about as long as anybody has, but didn't necessarily put their names on cigars, um, or when they did, it, it wasn't really a, a full-hearted effort. When Placencia decided they were going to have their own cigar company and General wasn't going to just distribute Placencia Organics uh, for the fuck of it, like they had a very, very different strategy. Um, and I don't think a lot of consumers know this, but one of the central parts of it was that they didn't charge retailers for the cigars. Uh, they decided they were going to have expensive cigars and ornate packaging that could trans translate into ashtrays when you were done with it. But they took the liability away from the retailer and said, look, you know, these are on consignment. When you sell them, you can pay us. Um, and it, it helped the cigars were good, but it also meant that the retailers themselves weren't having to, to sort of, you know, they had to deal with the customers that might be angry about buying a $30 cigar they didn't like. But um, I think a very different approach and also sort of a commitment and, you know, Placencia is blessed in that regard to have the resources to do that. But you know, a, a commitment that said, we're here for the long haul. This isn't necessarily yeah. uh, an 18-month adventure. And uh, not to say that some of these other companies are going to be around for only 18 months, but boy, is it tough to see some of these people. And I also really wonder if they understand the competitive economics that exists in the cigar market when you are introducing a brand that no one's ever heard of at, at those price points. Yeah, uh, kind of putting our numbers together that will come out on... Thursday, kind of all the behind the scenes uh, review numbers that, you know, Char both Charlie and Coop have uh, already published for their sites. But I, I was expecting our average review price to really jump from last year. And, but it surprised me that it didn't. And I don't know if it was just because even though there was a lot of higher price cigars, the ones that were kind of in the middle, I think just kind of kept the average there. Um, I know we didn't smoke a lot of cheap cigars this year just because it didn't seem that there were a bunch that fit that mark, but you know, there were, there were some, I guess there was enough to just kind of negate some of those really high cost cigars, but yes, hundred percent agreement. Like the, the price of cigars uh, seems to be kind of out of control. And um, I understand that maybe it's just based on the volume that was coming out of kind of the pandemic uh, sales and thinking that people were just willing to buy whatever was produced at whatever price um i know there's obviously rising costs uh labor shortages uh increased cost of goods all those things so yes there is going to be some 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 price increase but i just feel like some of these 
some of these brands have kind of lost their minds in regards to what they <laughs> expect people to, to pay for the cigars. Yeah, I mean, it's it's an interesting um, it's an interesting economic experience to say I'm going to come out of the gate with a whole line of cigars that are you know post twenty above twenty five dollars, and you know maybe you can get those into retailers' hands. But if I'm a retailer and it's a new brand, it that's a that's an insane category to come out of the come out of the gate. I mean, like Charlie said, I mean, all the major brands that have price points in that category took many, many, many years to build up to that point. I don't know that, I don't feel that you can be successful, even if you came out of the gate with a $25, $30 cigar and it was very good. That's a very, very tough avenue to to attack. Um, There's just a whole segment of customer that isn't going to pay that price. And to be frank, you know, me thinking, putting on my consumer hat, if I have a poor experience with an $8.50 cigar, that's not going to necessarily negate me trying something else from that company. But if I spend $30 and I have a poor experience, that is absolutely going to negate my likelihood of going back and trying again. And uh, the words you used, Darren, out of control. I mean, that's what I put here. Like, it, it seems to me that the new launch point for a new brand is $15. And the old launch point for, you know, a quote unquote new boutique company who's being rolled out of a, you know, I understand the economics of it. I completely understand the economics of it, but it used to be around the $10, $11 mark. And so to go from $10, $11 to $15 is, is a pretty significant jump. And I just don't, I question as to whether the market will bear that. I mean, I realize many people might be looking at the Cuban market and thinking, hey, we can cash in on that, but I don't think with the amount of product that's out there, um, you know, and you mentioned Skip, uh, Romacraft puts out a whole selection of cigars that are under $11 and all great. So, you know, if that's, if that's what you're competing against or, you know, all the Aladinos, which are under $9, it's, it makes it very difficult to jump from eight or $9 to 15 on a, on an unknown entity. I have a question for the three of you. Uh, Something that John raised here. What it like? Let me just give you some data, just so that because I, I think there's a very important thing to understand. I here. love data. I don't think that it's so much the existing companies that are doing this. I think it's more the newer companies that are the ones that are yeah. where the eyebrow gets raised. Um, so I looked at this it after the the trade show in July and just sort of wondered. So I randomly selected 10 companies that were both at IPCBR 2017 and were at PCA 2022. And I just went in and went into the booth post and just took the average or the MSRPs for everything that they introduced that was a cigar, um, except for like cigarillos and stuff, because that would throw things off. Um, And the increase, the difference in average price was $2.94 higher after five years for the same 10 companies and their new releases of the show. That amounts to about a six and a half percent year over year increase. So it's not much more than the five percent that we've kind of become accustomed to as a sort of baseline. And that's one of the things is that like when you see these, you know, and we obviously report about more of them than anyone else, but Coop does a little bit of this. When you see the price increase stories come in or the priceless come in, very rarely is it like a two dollar cigar jump. Very rarely it's a dollar cigar jump. And when it is, it's usually for something that starts at twenty two or twenty three dollars. It's a lot of, you know. 6% 6% here, 8% here, 3% here. It's not 30% here and it's not in terms of tangible cash that much money. I really do wonder 
not all of the new companies, but how many of them do you think actually understand the business to the point where they don't, where they understand that they're not getting screwed? Because I think a whole bunch of this is just related to the idea that these people look around and go, oh, well, this company charges $20 for this and $25 for that and whatever. And the factory is giving me this price. And then I got to pay this for boxes and I got to make my profit somehow. And then the retailer has to get their profit, which blows that out of proportion. I, I sort of wonder, like, how much of this is just sort of an issue where these guys are getting taken for rides and they don't really understand it? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it can definitely be the case. I could see that it being uh, very driven by the newer newer brands and I'm kind of scrolling through some releases from last year. And yeah, like you see, like uh, you know, Tatuai staying kind of in that you know nine to thirteen dollar price point. That's not crazy, but then you you know see some of these newer brands that are putting out some. Ridiculous saw, price cigars. So I saw Postani today had a big price increase. I mean, I haven't calculated it yet because I, I he didn't send me the old prices, but so I have to kind of look at it. But it looks like they had a significant price increase. Like yeah, I haven't gotten like, the data yet either on that. But yeah, it looked like someone from ten. I'm trying to get someone from ten fifty to like thirteen dollars. Which that's a big increase if that's the case yeah. on a cigar. Um. So add on what Charlie said, you know, and I agree with what Charlie said, but I do look at some of these these big brands and Davidoff's the one I look at, right? So if you look at the Zodiac series in 2013, when they released Year of the Snake, that was a $30 cigar. Um, this year, Year of the Rabbit had two Vitolas. One was $50. And then the Grand Toro, which went to the flagship stores, was $72. That's a massive increase for a line that I don't think really from a tobacco standpoint um, has really you know, I don't think they're using tobaccos that are any more special in the rabbit than they were with the snake is kind of where I'm getting at. So to me, that they're definitely trying to cash in on the luxury market right now, the, the ultra premium market, because I don't know how you could justify your costs going up that much. Um, you know, like I said, that Grand Toro is, is more than double of the year. It's a great cigar, though. I'm smoking it right now. Really? Um, the, the, yep. Yeah, but like, let's say the quiet part out loud here. Uh-huh. Cigars don't cost this much money to make. Right. No, we no, don't. Um, not remotely. <laughs> but like, to, to, to your point, Charlie, they do if you don't own the factory, you don't own the process, and you're some guy off the street with $30,000 in his pocket or $20,000 in his pocket, and you have to beg to have construct or your brand made at X factory. Yeah, but like, I don't, I'm, I'm not a cigar maker, so I don't want to completely, you know, yeah. stand, you know, die on the hill here, but like, they have not got like they're so cheap to make that they have like even if they went up 10% every year, they haven't gotten to be that like anywhere close to this expensive. Now, packaging is a different story. And, you know, the quiet part here is a lot of these cigars, the packaging is actually more expensive than the entire cigar production is. Yes. Yeah. And it's not close. Right. You know, in the case of like Cohiba Spectre, <laughs> would not be surprised to learn that the packaging is four or five times as expensive as the cigars. It has to be. It, it, in it the has case to be. Of, the, those Davidoffs that Coop just mentioned, I mean, the, the, I think the response from Davidoff is pretty simple. Those things sell out, so the market has decided Absolutely, that that is yeah. an acceptable price Absolutely. point. Absolutely, yep. But also in the case of those Davidoffs, I'm guessing the packaging is more expensive than the cigars, and I don't think it's probably close. Um, but with these other, you know, that's where these newer brands where it's just like, I don't think that they know, you know, a typical run-of-the-mill Robusto is X. Like, and it depends on which country you're in and what wrapper you use. But like when people are like, oh, Cameron's the most expensive wrapper, you know, and I'm part of that club. It's not a dollar more expensive a leaf. 
Like we're talking about such small numbers where even if it's three times the price, you're talking cents, not euros. Like it's it's not close. And and there has been, you know, and we haven't said necessarily on our review show, but because, you know, as, as much as we like to bag on people, we're still polite. But there's been plenty of times where I look at a blend and I go, okay, so let's do the math. You've got an Ecuadorian Connecticut wrapper, which is one of the cheapest wrappers out there, with an Ecuadorian Habano binder. And obviously, I don't know what you're paying for filler, but I know the economics of your wrapper and your binder. And, and your price point is $17. And I'm like, okay, well, that doesn't make any sense. Like, I, I know what the wrapper costs. I know what the binder costs. Those are your two largest costs outside of your packaging. There's no way that this cigar is remotely that expensive. And I know 11 companies that make that exact tobacco, you know, criteria for half the price of what you're charging. So at that point you go, I could pay $17 from you, or I could go get it from Aladino or someone else for nine fifty. So why would I like, I question, you know, like why, like I, as a new company, I just don't see. And, and I do wonder how many consumers, like I assume the average consumer obviously is not making that decision because they don't understand the economics of the tobacco, but there are, plenty of people who do and certainly we're in the category where we've been around long enough to understand the economics and i you know i do shake my head a lot where i'm like that doesn't add up even remotely yeah i mean it's uh it's a mess i think the last thing i'd say on the price increase stuff that you know sort of to the out of control point the other problem here is that when the price points start that high it it means that when they increase or when the next release comes out, the floor has just been risen, you know, or raised that much higher. And I, I think to sort of John's point about like, where's the entry point for the average new cigar, the typical new cigar, it may average out to be $15 right now, but it's a really wide range. And yeah. that's what's causing, I think, this to be a lot different than it was certainly in 2012, where it was like, okay, 10 to $12 is the pretty established range if you're going to be introducing a new cigar. Obviously, if it's a super large size or some sort of limited edition and fancy packaging, maybe it's $14 or $15 and every once in a while, 20 Now the range is probably more like $12.50 to 22 And so if you're one and a half standard deviations outside of that, you could be at $27 pretty easily. And none of these people know what standard deviation is, so that's completely irrelevant. <laughs> uh, all right. Wait, other... Aaron... Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah. Um... One other point I was just said, I want to kind of pose this to the panel here. What's the biggest company out there that doesn't have a cigar over $30? Perdomo? Um, maybe, maybe Perdomo. I was thinking Drew Estate. Yeah, I don't think I can think of anything Drew Estate that's over Drew, 30 Drew Estate, yeah. yeah. What was the, ba the Bauhaus, which doesn't really count because it factors in European taxes? What about the latest year of the whatever? It was twenty seven. It was like twenty seven fifty. That's not in the United States, right? Yeah. But it was still like a twenty seven fifty. It was funny because when I was down in Nicaragua, I was trying to press them for information on releases, and I said, "Are you guys going to come out with an ultra premium cigar this year?" And they kind of laughed at me, you know, didn't mm. give me an answer one way or another. But but it was kind of interesting that because all the other big four, the other three in the big four, all have it. Perdomo's a good one. I didn't think of Perdomo. I mean, because I don't think they have one over twenty that I could think of. Well, so, it's because you're not staring at a Perdomo background, Coop. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm looking at you guys instead, yeah. Um, but, yeah, so I, I just... Yeah, I mean, no, I mean, Drew State's probably the answer. Yeah. 
Yeah, Drew State. So I'm just wondering at some point if they're going to tackle that. I, I to me, it, with everything going on in the market, why wouldn't they tackle it at this point? Well, they tried it with Pappy back before the market at the high end sort of exploded, and I think it's fair to say that didn't go very well. No. Um, at least not the first iteration of Pap or the tradition. Yeah. Because the tradition was supposed to be that. It was described yeah. to me by extra estate employees as they basically wanted to have an Opus X. They wanted to have a release that went to stores once or twice a year, immediately was sold out, and then there was clamoring for it six months later or six days later. Yeah. And that certainly did not happen. No, I think, I think every time they try to do one of these spirits-themed releases and you don't have the spirits theme incorporated into it, it usually doesn't work well. Because ultimately, the Family Reserve was the one they ended up swapping out with Pappy. And I think that one does moderately better, I think, than the, than the uh, or the Barrel Aged, I should say, better than the Family Reserve. But yeah, you're well, right. That was what the intention was with that. This has definitely hit a nerve with some of the industry people uh, in the Excellent. chat that we are not we're not taking into consideration overhead costs and all these oh, things. And, you know, but, 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 I, but I don't think that's what we're talking about. That we're not talking about that. <clears throat> yeah, so yeah, they're right. kind of, they just hey, and, and, and listen, if, if it's made out of El Teton de Bronze in Miami, yeah, sure, I understand the economics of labor in yeah. Miami is very different than the yeah. economics of labor in Nicaragua or Dominican. But these cigars aren't being made out of El Teton de yeah. Bronze. But yeah. I, I think it's all irrelevant. Like John's point earlier is the, is the one that stands out here. If, if overhead exists, why can Romacraft and Aladino, you do, know, do what they do? Yeah. And, you know, why can Drew Estate, you know, who I think is priced are probably a little bit higher on average, but like general for, you know, all the complaints that were said earlier, very few companies are as committed with, you know, some Cohiba exceptions there of just constantly hammering home $8, $9, $10, $11, $12. Like, you know, why are those companies able to do that consistently? Um you have super small companies at the yeah. Romacraft level, and then you've got one of the largest players, you know, the with General, and they seemingly aren't having yeah. to resort to, you know, twenty five dollars cigars as the starting point. Yeah, I think that that's kind of where some of this has yeah. been missed. That kind of focus yeah. on these brands putting out ultra premium prices for their first or second releases, and yeah, uh, and I don't look at the Davidoffs as kind of. Like when I mentioned the Davidoff, those are different releases every year. Those are different like lines every year. So I'm not counting that as like a price increase. That's just kind of something that's an annual series that's different every year. Yeah. Uh, any other trends from this past year that uh, you may have found interesting? I really struggled to find anything. I mean, the only thing that I could say, and it wasn't a trend, was just you know, resurrection of dead brands, but we see that every year. So, you know, that wasn't really a trend and I didn't see any particular rapper or Vitola. Um, in fact, maybe even less. So this year there was no, you know, like double perfecto was suddenly a magical Vitola release this year. There's nothing that kind of, when I look back on our review list, I was like, I didn't really see anything that I could, you know, even remotely call a, a trend in the industry for me. I don't know if it's a trend or not, but I think a lot of I mean, this is probably going on for a few years. A lot of companies figured out, hey, if they need to address the what's new thing, they have two choices, do a limited edition or bring something back from the past. And I think they've kind of figured that out now that if they need to keep up with the Joneses and what's new, that's the way to do it. Where they, yeah. where they don't have to go worry about going into deep innovation every year with a new blend. 
because a lot of times those limiteds are offshoots off existing blends for all practical purposes. Yeah. So I, I don't think it's a new trend, but it's a trend that I've seen continue. All right. So let's uh, hop into some of the, uh, what I'll call interesting industry items uh, from 2022. And uh, Charlie kind of touched on this, um, talking about um, the factory formerly known as TAPS, but kind of some overall con uh, cigar construction issues uh, in, in 2022. Charlie just, to, just had a one-off with one factory apparently this year. But uh, John, I know you like to, you, you know, you have a, a running tab for uh, butane for some companies, so. Uh, what were your thoughts on construction this year? I mean, listen, um, you know, I think it's obviously I smoke a lot of Cubans and I smoke a lot of non-Cubans. And, and so I hear a lot of smack talk on people who primarily smoke Cubans and people who primarily smoke non-Cubans. And, and I would say up until 2019, one of the things I could say was consistently, yeah, but if you pick up a non-Cuban, you're never going to have a draw problem. Or if you do the company's going to take care of it because it's an outlier. Or if you've got a burn problem, maybe you should take a mirror and look at your humidor because your humidor is probably at 70% and your your room temperature is at 75 degrees freedom. And that's not okay. But when I have, you know, a climate-controlled environment with a humidor specifically for reviews and all my review cigars go in that humidor and I keep the, the, the humidity consistent and one cigar burns perfectly with no draw issues, whatever, and then I pick up the next cigar, which may be $9.50 or maybe $17, and all of a sudden it's a snug draw with burn problems and I'm like, really? Like that's, that's where, it, and, and, and you know, I understand that we went through a pretty big turmoil in the industry where people weren't down to the factory. Um, there's a lot of labor problems and I get that, but you know, it's 2022 now 2023 and I'm still seeing even from well-established factories inconsistencies in construction, inconsistencies in burn um, to the point where uh, you know, we had, we had a review not that long ago where I like felt the cigar before I lit it up and like, I don't know who is drunk for quality control this day, but like this cigar is spongy and no one on their worst day would, would have let this cigar go out of the factory three years ago, but somehow it's okay now. And it happens, but it's happening a lot more than it ever has at any point that I've ever been doing. Reviews, that's for sure. Thoughts, Coop, Charlie? Yeah, well, All I'm right, just, I'll, I'll no, no, jump on the <laughs> no, Go ahead, Charlie. Go ahead. You go, Charlie. Yeah, look, uh, I agree with what John said. Um, more specifically, I, I would also say I have found what I believe to be a lot more instances of under-fermented tobacco, and in particularly out of Nicaragua, tobacco that just seems like it was processed way too quick. Uh, one thing that I've experienced a lot in the second, or experienced a lot in the second half of 2022 was I found myself getting sick from cigars at a much, much higher mm. rate than I could ever recall. And I understand that the current, whatever your current definition of full is, or medium full, <laughs> the current definition of medium full was full probably five years ago. So cigars seem like they have gotten stronger. That is my subjective analysis. And I, I think that most people would probably, that, that have been smoking cigars and have been making notes about cigars would probably agree with me that you know, there was a time in which I remember Cro-Magnon was one of the strongest cigars you can buy. It's not even the strongest cigar in Romacraft's portfolio at this point. It's not particularly close. 
you know, LaFleur Dominicana makes strong cigars and has always made strong cigars, but it is not the outlier that it once was. And I understand that every, I will long believe that, you know, certain cigars make people react differently, but the amount of times that I'm getting sick has increased and it's a different sickness than the like deep punch in the stomach sickness. Um, it's still sort of a, a nausea sensation and fortunately no dry heaving or anything after that recently, but like I can smoke what most people can see consider to be pretty strong cigars on an empty stomach hungover. Um, you know, I've done it off the factory table plenty of times and, you know, three hours after eating lunch, I'm smoking cigars and finding my head, you know, just not appreciating it. Uh, not once a week, but certainly way, way more frequently than I can ever recall before. Um, and I, I suspect that that's probably related to some shortcuts with tobacco. Thinking it out. Either that or that Pfizer shot, one of the two. <laughs> <laughs> Aaron, if I'm looking at, you know, again, what I what I scored, my scoring was was down significantly this year. So definitely I'm I'm seeing stuff. And when I went back and looked at the scoring, definitely construction scores were down. There's no question about that. Um it's it, I definitely saw a de a decrease with, with that. So um I think all the problems have been highlighted for a lot of reasons. I think, you know, if you go back a couple of years ago in the DR, they were they were having split shifts and people were working off shifts and a lot of that, you know, in Nicaragua, we, we know about the labor problems that are there. So, I mean, I think these things to say they've had no effect um, is definitely truth, you know, you know, not, you know, not truth. You know, uh, Charlie, when I was down with uh, at Puro Sabor, Patrick, um, I was with Patrick and he noted something at one of the factories, namely he noted how, how there was a big change in the, the demographics of the labor in that factory, how there are a lot more younger people now working in the factory. And, you know, I, I don't want to say, I don't remember which factory it was, but, and, and, but I actually could kind of see that being indicative of a few factories after he said that. So it seems like that maybe there's some more inexperienced people now taking the place here. And, and, you know, it's hard to replace some of the people who've been doing this for 10, 15 years, you know? Yep. So, um, you know, it's definitely something noteworthy. And I think, yeah, and I think to add to that, go ahead. Um, I'll be brief this time. I promise. I think to add to that, a lot of those transitions were not like planned or were not, not how they would have been done pre COVID, right. you know, particularly Nicaragua where the emigration out of Nicaragua is a massive issue. A lot of this has been sort of haphazardly, you know, by, by force to just sort of, yeah, not exactly six months worth of a transition period with someone retiring and whatnot. Um, and I, I suspect that that is a, an issue everywhere, but particularly in Nicaragua, um, that has to be a, in Cuba as well, um, a massive issue. Yeah. Yeah. I read, I read that in both of your coverages uh, for Pure Sabor that, you know, some of the factories where, um, you know, literally it was spot somebody who's over the age of 30 in the factory, which is never like, you know, if you go to Hoya, where in the past the average age was probably approaching mid thirties to late thirties. And now you go to some of the factories and it's like, you know, this is, this is our average age. It's 19 years old. That's, you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of institutionalized experience of this person in the past might've worked at three factories before coming to work for this factory. And now it's, this is their first factory job. And it's like, okay, well, you don't, you don't have six or seven or eight years worth of experience rolling cigars and it you know unfortunately it, it takes 10,000 hours 
So, yeah. you know, the, the, it's great the only thing I'll say about that, John, is I've talked to enough factories, and a lot of them don't like to hire people from other factories. Mm because they feel like they're set in a way of doing things and right. they want they want to train people in their way of doing that so but i imagine again with the labor shortage if you can get someone who's got experience you probably do it um, is what i'm saying all right let's move on to the next topic and this okay. may lead into uh the topic after it but let's nice. talk a little bit about the fda um oh more kind of uplifting yeah, so th- let's take some of the onus off of the cigar brand. There's some, there's some, like there's some uplifting news. I- I'm sure they feel like we, we've been beating them up all night. Um, you know, they probably missed the first 20 minutes when we were singing their phrases, and then yeah, yeah, they, they uh, only then for an eight to five. Uh, so they can go back and watch all the positive stuff at the end. That way, they can yeah, finish off yeah. the night. On a, Steve on a can hear note. the positive things I said about. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> um, so I'm gonna kind of I'll start out with uh, with Charlie and Coop here because you guys spend way more. Effort you know, resources on FDA coverage and things like that. And uh, definitely I'm, that's not where I want to spend my time, nor do I choose to spend my time. So uh, I will leave it to you guys. Uh, thoughts on, on uh, any kind of FDA things that had popped up during 2022, uh, positive, negative, just kind of keep us in the loop of kind of where we stand at, uh, at this point in regards to the SCAR industry's interaction or status with the FDA. I'll punt that first to Charlie because he's probably no one probably covers it better than him. So I want to punt it to Charlie first and then I'll add some thoughts in. Um, yeah, I mean, I'll start out with the negative stuff um, just to keep the train rolling there. Um, FDA announced uh, in, I believe, May of 2022 that they were they announced an ANPRM for both the banning of flavored cigars, and that would be all flavored cigars, as well as a separate ANPRM about menthol cigarettes and banning menthol cigarettes. Um, it's going to be a long process, I would imagine. FDA has said that even you know whenever they get to the point where they are ready to announce a final rule, um, that it would take a year before they would start enforcing it. So hypothetically, if they announced it on July 1st, 2023, it would not go into effect until July 1st, 2024. I don't think anyone, including FDA, would believe that it's going to take a year. Um, there will be massive lawsuits about both of those things. Um, and I suspect that those lawsuits will be funded in a way that is very different than the cigar lawsuit that I'll get to in a second. Um, I don't really think that there's been much other negative stuff with FDA in regards to cigars. There's been a lot of negative stuff for FDA. Um, they really, I, I think in the court of public opinion in particular, botched uh, Juul, the e-cigarette brand's uh, their submissions and product submissions that led to FDA announcing that it was going to do an external review, uh, which was uh, completed, and they announced the results of that uh, earlier this year. FDA has said that they're going to have some announcements about what they might take away from that review, um, but that was very much geared towards uh, towards e-cigarettes and, and not really related much to cigars. If anything, I think it's probably good news for cigars. Um, it probably delays, excuse me, whatever FDA has planning um until after they can kind of get their ducks in a row i would imagine with the vaping stuff um before they really try to embark on the flavored cigar and menthol cigarette bans uh on the good front um there were a number of positive developments a minor one was the much anticipated uh, nasum report on cigars that came out in march of 2022 if i'm not mistaken um the nasum report came out of the lawsuit which i'll get to in a second 
um, and FDA sort of agreed that they were going to study the issue of premium cigars more. So they contracted another government agency, uh, the National Academies of Science and something medicine, um, engineering and medicine, I think. And uh, they produced a report that, you know, had some good parts and some bad parts. Um, and it's not binding by any stretch of the imagination, but they really looked into, you know, how much data there is about premium cigars. And, and they did, they did a behold, good job, too. Yeah, not much data um, yeah. and a lot of old data. So um, their recommendations were that, you know, FDA should really study the issue more. Um, I would suspect that that probably is not going to happen. And that's because there was some major good news. The best news the cigar industry has had on the FDA front, I think, ever, quite frankly. Um, and that was in the form of a July decision um, from Judge Mehta, who is the uh, a judge at the U.S. District Court for the District of Columbia, so the federal court in D.C., not the Supreme Court, but a, a different federal court. And Judge Mehta ruled that he found the cigar industry's uh, argument in this ongoing case that was started in 2016. Um, he basically found the core argument the cigar industry had made and has been making, which is that FDA did not properly study the issues of premium cigars and that the consequences to that uh, were unfair to the cigar industry. Um, and in specific, he mentioned that FDA is part of this sort of very formal government process. They have to announce what they plan on doing, and then people are allowed to comment on it. And then the FDA has to respond to the comments, and then FDA can finally announce what they want to do. He indicated that he found that FDA's uh, ignoring of a comment that was uh, um, submitted by the Cigar Rights of America, one of the three main cigar trade groups, and also one of the plaintiffs uh, in this lawsuit, he found that FDA ignored it. And the comment was related to how cigars are consumed, both the number of cigars, as well as the data behind kind of what happens when you uh, take a puff on a cigar and where the smoke goes um, within your mouth and in your nasal cavity and things like that. Um, and he found that the FDA dismissed it unfairly. Um, and because of that, uh, Judge Mehta is currently considering what to do about it. Uh, the sort of belief is there are two options. The less favorable of the two would be that he would tell FDA that they need to go back to step one or step two, whatever you want to look at it, but pretty early in the process, and they would then need to complete the process. Um, this would likely mean that this lawsuit would remain open and on his docket, which is a very important thing that I'll get to in maybe 15 or 20 seconds. Um, and uh, it would mean that FDA would have to sort of stop as they they're not really enforcing uh, the rules for cigars to begin with, or most cigars, premium cigars, non-flavored cigars, those sorts of cigars. Um, and he would they would have to go back and sort of restart the process and restudy the issue. That would also open up the door for more data to be submitted. And uh, since 2016, there's been some favorable data to the cigar industry about how uh, youth, for example, don't really smoke premium cigars at all. Um, and that would be introduced in this court case. It has been talked about here and there, but... Uh, because of some sort of legal mechanisms, doesn't really apply to this lawsuit currently. Uh, the other option, which would be the more favorable one, is that Judge Mehta basically just throws out the rule entirely for cigars and tells FDA that they need to start from, let's call it square zero, as opposed to square one. Um, and I would suspect, I, most people in the cigar industry that are sort of more knowledgeable about this issue than I am are pretty optimistic that that is the answer. And one of the big reasons why is so that Judge Medic would move it off of his docket. Uh, choosing the first option, which would be, you know, in effect, a very similar option, 
there there's something with user fees that maybe is a bit different with that. But choosing the first option would mean that he would probably need to oversee the process going forward. Whereas choosing the second option and telling FDA they have to go back to step zero or, or square zero as opposed to step one would mean that the court case could be closed. Obviously, FDA could appeal um, and there could be that, but it would at least move it off of his docket uh, for the immediate future, which federal judges uh, generally don't like cases to be open for this long. So good news coming. We don't have an ETA about when that will happen. Um, there was a hearing about that, I believe, in August, um, but uh, there has been no update since then. Uh, there was a recent update. Uh, Michael Edney's address changed. Michael Edney is the lead attorney for the cigar industry. That was the most recent submission that I saw in this lawsuit, but no actual sort of interesting things have happened since August. Quick um, Sorry, go ahead, Coop. Yeah, I was going to add, um, I spoke to Glenn Loop and Josh Habarski last week. They said why we haven't heard from the judge yet is because the judge is also uh, hearing a lot of the stuff around January 6th right now. So that's taken priority. Um, and that's why we haven't seen anything as of yet on that. So they think it's-, it's still I would just point out, he's been hearing January 6th cases for like the last two and a half years. I mean, this is, or basically since January 6th started, he's been yep. hearing them. Yep. I mean, I'm just saying what I'm, I'm relaying what they said on that. So that's a fair point as well. I have a different, I have a little bit of a different opinion on the NASM study. And I'm curious, Charlie, what your thoughts on that? Um, I thought that there was some stuff that came out of that study that concerned me around advertising, you know, around what we do that, you know, that could be ripe for something for them to go after with low hanging fruit, like, you know, doing some bans on advertising. There was, there was clearly some stuff in that NASM study. You know, they had they had Drew State in there with their advertising for the barn smokers saying it was like, you know, kind of targeted for use they pointed out the fuente ad in, in the airport magazines so that kind of concerns me a bit um that that could be something a cloud that we'll have to deal with even if meta comes out and says everything is you know he gives industry relief I, i'm concerned they may go after that piece with it yeah i mean the issue for fca though is that they would need to complete that process i mean um trying to think of a good, clean analogy here that would explain this. I mean, it's almost it's almost like if the DNA results in a, a criminal case got thrown out, right? And they said, okay, well, we've, uh, because of this, it's now a yeah. mistrial. Like, they're going to have to go back and restart. It's not just, you know, depending on how meta rules. Yeah. There's a very good chance that they are, I mean, they're going to wipe away years of work and they're going to be forced to restart it. I... I've long thought that the advertising piece of, of FDA regulations is a potential landmine for the cigar industry, not for those reasons, but um, you know, most tobacco products are not allowed to be sold on the internet. Cigars are a unique exception and, and yep. pipe tobacco as well. And there's a real question because FDA has not really been forced to grapple with what is advertising. When they announced the regulations in 2016, they listed off a long list of things that they thought could be considered advertising. Um, and presumably, like the catalogs that Cigars International sends all of us, those could be considered advertising. And if that was the case and they were subject to FDA advertising rules, that would mean that those catalogs would then need to have a marketing plan that would need to be submitted to FDA a year in advance before the catalog ships. So that way FDA could look and see whether or not the warning labels uh, were fixed properly. Now, uh, ardent followers of the uh, Cigar Association at all, the FDA at all case will acknowledge that or point out that uh, the warning labels for premium cigars and cigars entirely have been thrown out. 
But if they were going to put the energy to go back after advertising, I, I, the landmine is really to me, I mean, like they may put, you know, all of us out of business, but the landmine for the industry is what happens if the catalogs and the online stores yeah. are now considered advertising and subject to marketing plans. Um, and we just don't have any, there's no, you can't buy yeah. cigarettes on the internet. So there's no real precedent to figure out what FDA would decide. And with the expansion of the PACT Act, which is the rule that bans mail order shipping of cigarettes across state lines to consumers or to, to consumers, uh, that was expanded to also apply to e-cigarettes and vaping products. So those products are more or less not able to be sold on the internet either legally. Um, and so we just don't have a great grasp of what FDA would do to tackle famous smoke shops website. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm looking at the extreme cases too, like with Singapore. What happened in Singapore with uh, Ministry of Cigars too? So you know, those things. Like, you wonder if they look at that and say, "Hey, look, Singapore did this." You know, I think we're a very, very long way from that happening. I, I do too. I do too. But yeah, you never know. Are you surprised, Charlie, at all that uh, Judge Med didn't rule before the end of 2022? Because, like you said, there seemed to be some urgency for him to sort of resolve this and get it off his docket. So I, I, I personally, not being as close to the issue as you or Coop, I was quite surprised and I was sort of hedging that that would come in before the end of 2022. And now we're, you know, Q1 of 2023 already. Um, yeah, I, I've kind of learned that, I mean, here's, I, I didn't go to law school. I didn't clerk at a federal court, so um, I'm very reliant on attorneys and, and people that are much more familiar with this issue than I am. And unfortunately, there aren't really that many of them that I have you know, relationships with that I can just sort of openly talk about it. Um, lawyers, may surprise you, tend to be pretty guarded um, about these issues. Uh, so no, not really. I, I think that people were a little caught off guard by Judge Mehta's ruling to begin with and how positive it was for the cigar industry. I think everyone was optimistic, but, yeah. you know, we've been optimistic before and with a few exceptions, it really has not gone our way. And there have been some real, you know, just blowouts as far as, as the cigar industry's arguments just getting absolutely killed in courts um, as part of this lawsuit. So not really. Um, to Coop's point, like, if you look at Judge Mehta's docket and what he was doing in the second half of 2022, there were a lot of in-person trials about uh, January 6th stuff. That being said, uh, my understanding is that Judge Mehta is unlikely to really actually write the ruling. That's a responsibility of a law clerk. Um, so I, I don't know. Perhaps we need to or I need to befriend some Judge Mehta law clerks so we can get some inside scoop here. <clears throat> if you're watching, on. please contact me. Yeah, move along with this, kind of talking about the flavor bands a little bit. I mean, they're starting to see that you know, pop up around the country. And here this past year uh, in California, we had uh, there was already a vote on the banning of flavors. And uh, this past year, we got to do an are you sure you want to ban uh, flavors vote. So and that one passed as well. So, um, you know, that's I don't know what's going to be taking place here. It's already started to take place, whatever. But um, yeah, yeah that's, that's the next frontier. Yeah, so that's what that's what this is. You know, I think John put in his notes kind of the slow slowest movie disaster. If you you know watched the the movie Austin Powers, where uh, you know the steamrollers coming at the guy and uh, you know he just can't move out of the way in time. Uh, that whatever it was the thirty seconds that they yeah. showed that scene, it's like uh, it's kind of what's happening. So uh, I think that will be uh, that slow rollout uh, kind of across the country as well as um, you know the tricks of the the age uh bands and things of that nature so um, i think the age bands are probably more or less done i'm sure that there will be 
half-hearted attempts in the right. U.S., but I, I think that the think it's going to be a real uphill battle even in sort of the least tobacco friendly states to argue that 25 year olds shouldn't be able to buy tobacco products but they can buy alcohol and guns and everything else um the flavored stuff i, I would say this uh because i don't think it's been sort of I imagine it's not that known about um we've i've mentioned it here and there but my understanding from the people that have law degrees is that the real interesting part with the flavored bans is going to be what happens when a state actually tries to enforce one. Right. Um, and what I mean by that at, is they send a letter to a retailer that says, you are selling this product, which we deem to be flavored, and it is vi in violation of our flavored ban. Um, you know, Juris State sent out a letter to its retailers in California, and it said that it was no longer selling three of its lines in California. Um, Notably, acid not included there. Drew Estate said it believes that acid meets the requirements for, uh, you know, the California law. I believe tobacco special was included in the list of the three products that were taken off the market there. So that's a big loss um, for a lot of consumers and retailers in California. But from what I understand, neither in Massachusetts where cigar shops are still allowed to sell flavored cigars, but you can't walk into like a gas station and buy flavored cigars. Um, and in California where there's technically a price exemption, if it's expensive enough, it's it's allowed to be sold so long as it's not a machine-made cigar. Um, but my understanding is the real question is going to become what happens when somebody goes, when a state goes after a retailer for selling a product that they believe is illegal, because there's a lot of questions. And if you look at the California law about how it defines what's flavored, it's quite ambiguous. It's like if it smells flavored and it's like, well, who who gets to who's the chief smeller? Yeah, um, it's not in the California law. Like one of the big problems is it's unclear who's supposed to be doing the enforcement about determining what is a flavored product and what's not. And so I think when you see that happen, uh, you will see the big tobacco folks that still have menthol cigarettes and flavored cigars, as well as some of uh, you know the more cigar folk people, uh, Drew Estate, Miami Cigar Company, Rocky, etc. I think they will be watching that very closely. Um, and certainly the Cigar Association of America, who's much more into the flavored cigar stuff than the other two. Uh, you know, I think they'll be uh, certainly very involved in a, a lawsuit that would come in response to enforcement actions like that. Hope everyone enjoyed that brief bathroom. Break. I did. <laughs> I mean, it, it, it's interesting because it seems like, um, you know, it's unlike Canada, where they can just provide a federal sweeping ban. It seems like it's more likely in the United States where you're being attacked at the state level. But, I mean, there's news today, I think you posted about Cleveland, and it's under under attack even at the municipality level. So, you know, it seems like there are multiple, and, and there, which was Republican, um, Republican government. So, you know, there there is multiple levels no, of government. No? In fairness to the Republicans in Ohio, Columbus the capital of Ohio, the city council in Columbus passed a ban on flavored tobacco sales. The Republicans in a lame duck session for the entire state of Ohio uh, passed a preemption law mm. that uh, would have prevented cities like Columbus or Cleveland or counties from enacting their own laws. Gotcha. Uh, their preemption laws in Pennsylvania and other places. The Republican governor uh, who had Be previously it? come out and called for uh, flavored vapor <clears throat> bans or flavored vaping bans he vetoed the law um, right. and uh, yeah, it, you know, there was a whole bunch of more controversial stuff that the Republican legislator passed in the lame duck session, but it was a bit of an interesting showdown to see if he was going to override the uh, the legislator, which he did. Um, 
but yeah, it, it's the battleground. I think that, you know, I haven't spoken to any of the anti-tobacco folks, but I suspect that that's where they're investing their money. Um, they're probably skeptical of, you know, the overall outcome of a federal lawsuit, um, you know, whenever FDA decides to pull the trigger on menthol and flavored cigars. Um, and this is a lot more cost effective to, you know, get it on major city councils and get it banned there. Um, but they've had mixed results. Uh, they, you know, Pennsylvania, the preemption law got upheld. Um, and so, you know, in that case, Philadelphia is not going to be able to ban flavored cigars, despite what the Democratic controlled city might want to do. Right. All right. Moving on to the next topic. That's an interesting item. <laughs> uh, NFTs, everybody's favorite uh, topic. So this was a kind of a big year for NFTs in the cigar industry with La Florida Dominicana doing the uh, the Golden Bowl. Um, I think the uh, the bidding was quite exciting and the prices uh, were quite high, way more than I was anticipating. Um, so I'm curious on on the panel's thoughts on. Uh, I'm, I'm open to just thoughts on NFTs in general and then as it relates to the cigar industry. So if somebody has strong feelings one way or the other, I'm, I'm open to hearing that. You know, so I, you know, I, I said it was a double-edged sword, I thought, with this thing. I think it definitely, from LFD standpoint, you can look at it and say success, right? They, they, made, they found a way to make money and make this thing work. They created a lot of interest. But now I'm thinking, but now I told you, I don't think there's a lot of excitement for these cigars in the marketplace. I just haven't seen the market respond with the excitement level that was, uh, you know, when these things were sold into the seven people who bought it. Right. Some interesting things around uh, raffles and things like that to try to be able to get your hands on some of these cigars that may have gotten shot down by, yeah, you know, regulatory things and yep. things of that nature. So, yeah, but yeah, don't do know, raffles, it's a great way to get in trouble. Yeah, they got, yeah, but you know, I think a lot of these guys who started pricing these things at $200 got a reality check real quick that this that cigar is not a $200 cigar. Not again, this is not taking anything away from LFD. I just think that when a lot of these guys bought the cigars, I don't think they figured out how they're going to move these cigars. Or maybe they, you know, so, I think a lot of these guys, maybe they bought it for the NFT investment piece. You know, maybe that's what they're looking at here. But but I didn't Yikes. see these cigars. Yeah. <laughs> yeah Does it, uh, anyone know anything about uh, the anarch the Taiwahe Anarchy smoke in NFT? Is that, I know it was scheduled for early 2023, if I'm not mistaken. Abe said it's still scheduled for that. So I think he's going to get through the Great Smoke event and then he's going to focus on that. So we should hear something. But he said it's definitely moving forward. I mean, it is, it yeah, is interesting. It, it is no, interesting. I'm just curious that, to see. Yeah. It, to me, it's interesting that, you know, NFTs, which are certainly, um, you know, for the 25 people in the industry who actually know what NFTs are. And I say that with love because, you know, traditionally the, the entire cigar market um, from top to bottom is not a, what I would call a technology forward industry. And I say that as a guy who's, you know, lived technology his entire life, has been to factories and sort of gone, that's an interesting way to do things. And there are certainly companies that are very technology forward, but most of the industry is not from the retail level all the way up to the manufacturer. So I guess I was surprised and also impressed that La Florida Medicana was able to successfully execute. But as Coop said, there's there's one thing to execute on selling the NFT. It's another thing for that product to still be talked about, other than looking back at the the single 
sale of an NFT license into 2023 and say, well, how are the cigars doing? You know, what's the future of someone else doing an NFT? Um, I'm sure Abel do fine with it because he's this, you know, consummate businessman. But, you know, I do wonder how successful is that going to be going forward when the sort of heyday of NFTs has perhaps passed a little bit. I don't know if we're going to see that many more NFTs come out in the market in the next, you know, two years because I, I don't know that the economics have been that considered long-term. I'm very curious to see if Havanos does one at the festival this year as part of the mm. human auction. Um, I, I don't know anything one way or the other. I, I've not asked anyone over there, but I'm just curious because, you know, that's one where that auction, you know, 200,000 euros is the, the cheapest item in the auction uh, most years and a million dollars a million euros has been breached, I think, a couple times now. Yeah. So um, I'm curious to see if we see one there and to some degree, to a lesser extent at Pro Cigar. But, um, you know, Habanos has people with money in the, the room that, you know, throw it around as if it's water. Um, and who, who and, does vaporware uh, better than Habanos, right? I, I mean, it's <laughs> in person. Those humidors are hey, they're listen, something. They're, they're gorgeous. There's no question. Yeah, I mean, it's a completely different level. But no, I mean, I, I just think that um, Crypto Winter obviously didn't help the sort of long-term future. I was surprised that there wasn't another one in between the LFD and the end of 2022. But um, it just seemed like, you know, put one together and auction it off two weeks later and see what happens. Even if you raise half the money that LaFleur did, that's still a hell of a sales week as far as I'm concerned. Yep. Yeah, I'd be curious if uh, at what point maybe, you know, they start, these cigars start kind of floating out there at very reasonable prices if the purchasers of the licenses have some want to try to get some of their money back because what they spent, and, you know, there could be sales behind the scenes that we don't know about that are occurring and um, people are making some of their money back, but I, I just, it's not, it's not uh, very public. No way for us yeah, to see. Yeah, but the margins are, are strong enough on those cigars. I don't remember that off the top of my head, but I think that the the price that they are paying from Lafleur to buy the cigars each month equates to less than twenty dollars a cigar, if I'm not mistaken. I want to say so, it was like thirteen dollars. I thought yeah, it was thirteen. Yeah, it's pretty the... it's pretty reasonable as to like what Lafleur is charging those people. So even yeah. if they're selling them for forty dollars a piece, I, you know, you need to consistently sell them over the course of a handful of years. But it's it's not an insurmountable right you know number by any stretch of the imagination. Um, yeah. And you got a cool humidor and a JPEG out of it too. Yeah. yeah. So I mean, Coop, Coop, Coop's, uh, assignment is to get one of these purchasers onto the show so that we can grill them. Cause I'm yeah. fascinated with finding out where they are at in their NFT journey. So, yeah, that's the goal we're going to do this year with it. <laughs> Cause I agree. I you should very... definitely get Billy from Jack Schwartz on. I have a feeling that Billy, maybe he's super into NFTs, but I imagine of all the people that purchase them, Jack Schwartz is probably the one with the least understanding of NFTs, but the most understanding of LFDs. But they've also probably got the best Andalusian bull out of all the bunches, right? So they have the, they have those Toros, which were yep, yep. So which were, yeah, I just again I looked at the size and I'm like, you know, Lonsdale, we look from a connoisseur standpoint, Lonsdale's a great size, but a Lonsdale's not at a size that appeals to the market either. Yeah. Um, 
I'll say this: there's no way that Abe's and Abe will probably prove me wrong, but I don't think there's any way Abe's going to be commanding eighty thousand dollars for these anarchies. And I don't think that's a, a knock on Abe. I think that's a knock on how the LFD one went. Right, and how right, it exactly. Seems that he'll kind of flop for the retailer, not flop yeah. for LFD. That, uh, that's exactly what's going to happen. Yeah. Yeah, I think early estimates, even the even the most. Um, you know, non-conservative estimates were worth 30,000, 35,000 as the upper ceiling of the NFTs. So certainly they went well beyond that, no question. Yeah. Justin Andrews thinks if I was a cigar, I'd be a long tail. So. Abe's going to be doing some other things with his. He's going to have um, an actual digital to the, to the original digital art. He's going to have an actual art thing you're going to get with it. I think there's going to be some special stuff with the packaging. So they're going to be like similar to what LFD did with the packaging. There's going to be a lot of things I think that's going to be added into that thing as well. So there may be some good value for whoever wants that um, that package. But I still don't think it's going to get $80,000. Have any of you smoked the LFD? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Thoughts? I wouldn't pay two hundred dollars for it, but uh, well, not that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. no, it was. It, it was I, I will say that, um, especially given a reflection of twenty twenty two, it was a pretty good cigar. Um, certainly, certainly, I don't think anyone who picked up the NFT would be disappointed with that release. I think that that is a solid representation of what LFD is a brand. And I, you know, if I was a retailer, I would feel completely confident selling that cigar. Like I wouldn't wouldn't be embarrassed good- at all. Yeah, we smoked the ones they gave out at the show, which were not the final ones per se with packaging or anything like that. So it's not something I would review, but I thought it was a I thought the size was good. Um I don't think it was as good as the Jack Tor- Schwartz Toro, which I think was the best mm. size. But but uh I, I think the size is certainly I think it's a you're gonna get a good cigar, but no cigar is worth two hundred dollars, you know. And at fifty dollars, I even gotta question it because you know, if I could get if I could get the regular Andalusian bull for under twenty. I'm probably going to go for that is what I'm saying. I don't, unless you're someone who's a chaser and, and, and someone who collects this stuff and wants to try it, which I think that's a limited market. And I think that's why they're struggling so much to move these cigars. I, uh, I smoked the Tony Gomez pocket edition version of this, which LFT claims some convoluted nonsense is different. It, you, the NFT one uses the best tobaccos of the, the bunch. Uh, I, liked it a lot i did not do not agree with john's assessment though that i feel like it's a good representation of lfd i think it's a very different cigar from the right the other two andalusian bowls i thought it was a lot milder um but a very good cigar one that i'd I'd gladly smoke you know regularly just not at those price points are involving digital art exactly all right uh, next topic isn't usually something I would bring up, uh, you know, in regards to like, you know, issues with companies and things of that nature. But this one seems so bizarre and uh, is still ongoing that I think it's we have to bring it up and talk about it. And that is the uh, Crown Heads and Ace Prime uh, split um, or what, however you want to define this relationship nightmare. Um, so I will just open it up to thoughts on maybe how this went down, how we think the companies are going to shake out, uh, any of those thoughts. So, uh, I'm going to start with you, Coop. You know, it's, I know we, we beat this one to death a lot, but, um, it, it just wasn't good for both sides, no matter how you, how you look at it. You know, 
now I understand why cigar companies put out these these press releases and they pretend that everything's okay, right? Because uh, now if you go to the other side of the coin, you have a shit storm happen like what what happened here. Um, you know, in, in full disclosure, Aaron, I'll, I'll disclose this on the show. You know, we were approached by both parties to have both parties on the show, um, namely Pachardo and Luciano. We we have we have declined both of those. Mm-hmm. Um, just because you know, I don't. We didn't want to use our show to be a forum to kind of escalate this some more. Um, so you know, I think there's still a lot of questions on both ends. You know, what's Crown Head's going to do with some of these lines? I mean, Mil Diaz is is a workhorse line for them, as well as Juarez. Those are big lines. Um, where are they going to con- are they going to continue to produce those at whatever Pachardo is? Um, Luciano saying he still owns that factory. So if he still owns it, I don't see it happening. Do they move those types of things? Um, Luciano kind of hinted to us in Nicaragua. He's got a new facility he's opening too. So does he still own Pachardo or is he just starting a new factory somewhere? There's, there's a lot of questions here. And I just don't know if we're going to get ever to what the answer is. And then the bigger question is, does this thing end up in court at some point? Mm-hmm. Um, I think there's some questions on that, particularly if there's money involved and then this is going to end up in court uh, one way or another. And I hope that doesn't happen. But so I, I don't see I, I kind of see maybe there's a little bit of a detente right now. It's kind of calmed down, you know, but I could see this possibly escalating again at some point. I know one of the things we talked about, we've talked about consistently sort of offline is, um, you know, it'll be interesting to see, you know, I feel bad for Tim Osinger, like, you know, now that your cigar have to essentially change production um, and, and anytime you have a cigar change production, whether it's a factory or a country, um, you know, you, your intention, of course, is to keep the cigar as same as possible, but that's almost never going to be the case because construction-wise, it's going to change, rolling standards are going to change, tobacco is going to change. So it'll be interesting to see, like, you know, for us, um, the Lucia did quite well in our top 25. So the question is going to become, okay, well, the first release did quite well. How does the second release shape up now that tobacco changes, factory changes, production changes? Um, you know, is it going to be the same? Is it going to be a shadow of its former self? And so it'll be interesting. I think that'll probably be one of the big stories through 2023 is when you go back to some of these lines and now they're being produced in a different place or with different tobacco, how do they compare to, that'd be the constant comparison of, are they the same as 2022? Are they worse? Are they better? And I think that's probably going to carry on probably until 2024. You know, John, you, you mentioned a good point, And I think Osgener is like a really unique situation. When have we ever seen like a company launch and then switch factories like about 60 days after releasing the yeah. product? <laughs> yeah. And the next question I have is, how do I know what I'm reviewing or buying? Let's look at reviewing, buying. The only way I'm going to know what I'm buying is if I buy a sealed box of that thing in Cello and I look at the bottom and see it. Because there's no way I'm going to be able to tell on a retail shelf um, which one it is, right? And the retailers could just mix and match those things. Certainly, I'm not going to order it through the mail because, again, unless I'm going to buy the whole box, I, I, how am I going to be guaranteed I'm getting the box out of La Alianza? Which, look, I'm going to review the La Alianza one going forward. I, I think they made a mistake with that. I think they should have done something to make it easy for the person buying that to understand that that's a different cigar. You know, whether it's a secondary band or something like that, I don't know. But I think I think they have a real hole with that right now. And, uh, you know, I, I would just make it easier. I think for most consumers, they probably have no idea that the first iteration of the cigar 
existed. You know what I mean? There's going to be some of that production that's out there. Uh, whether right. or not they're going to be able to tell the difference between the two versions, I would probably doubt 95% of them could do it. Um, but, you know, it, you know, the people that are really in tune with the industry know, yes, the brand launched out of this factory. It's now being made out of another factory. Yes, I'm going to be confused as to which one I'm getting unless I'm, like you said, you're looking at a sealed box and see what the manufacturer is. Um, but I think, you know, with the the goal of the brand being a long-term brand is, that that first batch is a misstep. It's going to be gone and flushed out before the majority of people ever get a chance to smoke it. That we're going to smoke it, and they'll they'll be on to the secondary version, and that's kind of what they'll run with. So, yeah, for for us, I think yes, it feels weird, uh, but I think it, for most consumers, it's probably it probably doesn't make a difference. But if I, but if I bought that first one, right, and let's yes. say I I hated it, right, right. It's already put the negative connotation in my in my brain. Why sure. would I go buy it again? Because sure. again, they have no clue of that, right? Yeah, but or how is that any different than if they didn't change factories? Well, supposedly this is a completely different blend, right? So yeah, but like, how is that any different if they reblended this cigar at Tobacco or Pichardo? Understood. I, I understand that. That's a fair point. But I'm just like, saying. I, just don't, I mean, the cigars were only on the like. How many boxes did they honestly ship before they changed? Announced the blend change, like. Yeah, I or don't know. How many boxes of the Pichardo versions did they honestly have, or still have, or how yeah, do you want I to mean, frame it? Like, I just I agree with Aaron. I don't. For reviewers, it's a bit of a problem because it's like, well, do we really want to publish a review of a cigar that we know is now discontinued? I I guess it's the same thing as a limited edition cigar. Yeah. Right. Um. It's maybe a bit misleading or could be misleading, but like if you're a consumer, unless you loved the Tobacco Lair Pichardo version, um, I just don't know how this really makes much of a difference. But I think if you hated it too, you may not be inclined to buy it again. Um, yeah, I mean, for the early smokers, same. yes. It's a it's a problem that yeah. Osger has to yeah. get they have to get know, ahead of yeah. fix that. Uh, if, if, if they want to retain, they, retain those if, smokers. If there was something they just put, it might I mean again fairness to charlie he's right it's I'm, i am selfish i'm thinking of the review piece obviously i want to make sure i know what i'm reviewing here um but you know i still I, I still don't think it was made easy is what i'm saying i think they had an opportunity when they moved it to certainly just put a t tobacco Anza thing on it or something like that at that point and then you have the problem solved right well i do wonder um from the retail side how retailers are going to manage that because um you know, I'm sure some retailers are going to not want to differentiate because that's not a conversation you want to have, frankly. Um, but at the same time, do you want to mix those two? If you have inventory still left, do you want to mix that in with the new inventory? Or do you want to hold that inventory um, until that clears out? I don't know how you're going to want to handle that. Yeah. I don't, I, I think this is just a relatively minor speed bump. It's a, I, you know, I credit them for at least being public about it. I guess you, you know, sort of hand was played there. But like, if you're a retailer, you're you're selling cigars. Like, if you're, you know, one of the the best retailers in the country, you know, maybe you stop the the guy when he's in the humidor, and you know, he's talking about how much he loved the the one he just bought. Maybe you let them know, like, hey, look, like they changed the blend. Like, I'm gonna give you one to smoke. If you like it, great. Buy another box. But I'm not gonna try to pretend it's the same cigar. But also, how many retailers honestly know that they changed the factory or are going to remember a week later? Like, 
Yeah, exactly. I, yeah, yeah, exactly. I I'm going to be honest. Like, if I walked into a humidor, I'm not sure, and saw the cigar, I'm not sure the first thing that would come to mind is like, huh, let me check and see which factory this came from. <laughs> yeah. It's not, but then then they don't, you really don't know what you're buying, right? Well, and that tees up the next segment, which is John's going to talk about all the times he felt like cigar companies were lying to him in 2022. <laughs> I just, and, uh, I just, what, what is the expression uh, in the industry? The only time you know when somebody's lying to you is when lips are moving. I mean, you know, there's, there's, and I, I mean that in a, in a loving way because, um, you know, listen, there's a time where I would have believed everything that was told to me and now, you know, I know better. And so there's, there's obviously marketing pieces and there's truth. And it's my job as cigar media to sort of dig into that and find out what the truth is. And not take everything at face value, but yeah, I mean, ultimately, it, 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 I, I think it is definitely a speed bump. And uh, I said it will be interesting because I think it will be a part of the conversation, at least from the media perspective, doing reviews. That conversation piece will probably still happen well into late 2023, would be my guess. Yeah. I try to see your thoughts on this uh, relationship uh, ending. I don't. <laughs> <laughs> You don't care? No, like, I, I mean, I, I care to some degree. I just am not, like, uh, I'm over the drama component of it. Yep. I was pretty over it pretty quickly. Yeah. I'm, I, I think that, you know, everyone in the industry, and even if you, quite frankly, don't work in the cigar industry, like, uh, a lot of lessons to be taken here. Um, you know, you got to be very careful about if you really want to have these spats publicly. Um, and if yep. it seems like a, a disagreement is heading towards this, I, I, you know, I'm not sure about the three of you, but uh, I was not surprised when I got the phone call in September that this was happening. Um, you know, I had heard through the grapevine without asking, you know, I don't go around asking people and like, Hey, uh, you and your business partner still, still on the up and up or like, you know, well, and without doing that, I'd still managed to hear from numerous people who none of whom worked for crown heads or uh luciano or tobacco air pichardo that you know there had been very uh salacious accusations um you know about that relationship and about how it was going and things like that and um you know there's a reason why lawyers uh exist and this is one of them and i i get the feeling that it probably would have been better for both sides had this been done in mediation or out of the public sphere i, I can't yeah. I can't think that there was a PR win to be had here for either one of them. Nope. It doesn't um, help the industry either. Yep. <clears throat> yeah. Take... I'm, I, I appreciate the honesty, right. Of like being upfront that you're not in a good place with somebody else because too oftentimes we get lied to that everything's okay. But on the other hand, right. That's what I was saying. Yeah. You know, hire some attorneys and let them work this stuff out. I, I think it would have been better for everyone involved. Yeah, I, I I definitely agree with you on that. You know, a question I have back for everyone here is what was more significant, this divorce or the divorce between La Aurora and Miami Cigar? I mean, I know that one was a long time coming too, but that was a very long time relationship in the industry we've seen. And I think that was, you know, from an impact standpoint, I think that still was bigger than, than this one. I don't know. I mean, they haven't even launched... La Aurora USA is like it's not an operational entity to my knowledge right now. I, I know they're in the process of setting it up, but yeah, I think it's not going to go on probably till about April. I mean, I'm going to be doing yeah, DR. I'll see what's going on with that, but yeah, 
I think it would be premature to say, but um and look, the the Crown Heads Ace Prime or Luciano Cigars Tobacco Lair Pichardo thing is I don't think by any means over. Right. No. So And between yeah. between the two I mean going back to the Crown Heads Pichardo thing, uh and Luciano is um I, I think Crown Heads is in a little bit of a better position. I know even though they were kind of moving a lot of their lines and new stuff and production over to Tobacco Lair Pichardo, they've always been a company that's kind of, you know, used multiple factories and things of that nature. So I think that they have that capability to kind of Pivot. recover in regards to that. Yep. Um, with Luciano, it's a different, it's a bit of a different story. You know, his fight is, seems to be whether, you know, the Tobacco Lair Pichardo factory is under his ownership or not, whether he has to go find a new, you know, has to put up a new factory, uh, what, you know, whatever process this is, um, seems that, you know, Luciano's in a bit of a different position now than where Crown's heads is. They can almost, Crown heads can almost continue on as they, as they were, but it's a very different situation for Luciano and then whatever ongoing battles are going to go through that. Um, and it just seems like, Almost like a you know a couple divorce uh, amongst your friends where you know other couples or other people are kind of having to make a decision you know am I siding with one or am I siding with the other or I am I don't care you know I'm agnostic about it or I'm just I don't care about either one of them I'm just going to move on myself like there, there's that weird I think dynamic uh, so I'm very interested at these upcoming trade shows to kind of see if any of that is visible um, kind of just in people's demeanor around those uh, groups and things like that. So I, I just think that will be uh, an interesting uh, visualization to see. So, Did all right. Uh, beat that topic to death? Yeah. Well, yeah. it's something that was yeah. a weird thing for the year. So it's yeah. Have yeah, it was, to it talk was about. Definitely, definitely was talked about. Um. All right. So now we get to John's favorite portion of the show. Is it my favorite portion Charlie's of the show? Charlie's least favorite portion of the show and that is the consensus discussion oh well, it's john yeah, definitely no. john's so, favorite john i'm just gonna let you run with this because i don't i think you're the one that wants to really i mean seth would have really wanted to get into this i think but you're you're now on the hook for this so uh however you want to frame it go for it go i mean i john. guess a, a lot of it is uh kind of interesting and cure and and what i like about the consensus is that it's been running for so many years so i you know i'm a data guy so i find it very interesting to sort of compare year over year and i like the comparative year over year analysis and so you know earlier we were talking about some of the fda stuff and it's interesting to see rather than fda a lot of private business stuff has started to impact you know traditional and non cigar media from YouTube channels and that sort of thing. And certainly through 2022, as Charlie reported on, um, it seemed like a lot of fairly popular or medium popular YouTube channels either had to make that pivot to a different platform or completely evaporated. And so it was interesting to see that actually measured from a year-over-year perspective to say people who were present last year and had a fairly strong voice in the consensus are completely absent in 2022. Moving on to our next topic. Mm. (laughs) Fair enough. (laughs) Um, I don't know if you want to respond to that or anything, but my, my 
curiosity to the list is like where, where's your bullshit meter at charlie when you're collecting this data like uh, when when, do, when does your the top of your head pop off like at what year what year level are we talking about here 25 or is that when it i in terms of like like I don't this is bullshit i can't do it anymore saying. like this is bullshit oh. i can't do it anymore <laughs> uh, yeah i think that as we do our annual consensus therapy session, sometimes we do two of these a year. It feels like um, I don't. I, I just look at the consensus so much differently. I think than you guys do, or, or at least the impression I get from you guys. Like I don't care what the results are. Um, I don't have a vested yeah. interest in it other than the amount of time that gets spent and that it's a popular feature for Half Wheel on an annual basis. But like you know. If General Cigar got one, two, three, four, five on the consensus, I wouldn't think anything different of the list. Like, you know, I think that over the years, I've explained a lot of the different um, forces that, that lead to the consensus looking like what it does on a typical year. And so I've just kind of accepted them and it is what it is. Uh, but in terms of like, do I agree with the list or the list that are used for the consent? I mean, no, like I don't agree with half wheels list a lot of the time. Right. Like it's not my list. Um, and I also understand through doing the list at half wheel, like what are the limitations of a top 10 or a top 25 list, you know, in and of itself. So, you know, the cons I, I've said it every year, basically since maybe the first one, it's a great window into the relationship between cigar companies and the media that cover them. Uh, Beyond that, I, I think that there's not a ton of value to really be gained from it, um, you know, from a, a 60,000 foot Chinese spy balloon viewpoint. Nice. Yeah, um, I mean, I think we all understand the the reason for the list and what the list presents. Like on At the base level, we all get that. I think where, at least I'll speak for myself, is that when I say like, you know, at what point do you kind of feel ridiculous doing it is that like you, you see the results and what the results are supposed to portray shows you kind of what the I'm going to use the word peers, but I I'll caveat that by saying you know what I mean by peers. Uh, you know, kind of see what that looks like, and you know, it's just like when you find out what the most popular beer is, and you find out what the most popular whatever is, and you're like. Yes, I understand that, but it's because people don't have any sense of the bulk or majority of people don't have any sense of taste or whatever. It's just you feel like these are the people that are supposed to be. And I'm not saying that it's supposed to be uh, like there's any kind of real authority over it, but, you know, these people are presenting themselves as trying to be able to share an unbiased opinion, uh, you know, for other peoples to consume. But you find out how biased it it kind of is in this process so that's that was my reason for saying that yeah but i, I think every list is biased maybe not in the nefarious to reasons to a degree but when you see some when you see some of the results you know you kind of you want it, there are things that at least make me wonder like how did this how did this occur or you know how does it continue to occur for this entity and things of that nature so yeah i mean look i i Half Wheels List has a, a bias to it in a pretty glaring way. Like, and we've pointed it out on a couple occasions, we didn't review very many Cuban cigars last year. Mm -hmm. If we had somebody based in Europe 
I think that would be very different. We just it's a, an issue of access, not an issue of intent in the, the case of of half wheel and the lack of Cubans. Um, and, you know, I, I don't look at half wheels list and say these are the 25 best cigars of 2022 or the 25 best new cigars. These are the 25 highest rated cigars that went through this process. You know, I described it as 198 cigar tournament, essentially, is what we held. Um, and, you know, Coop's list is essentially the same thing, right? Like it's a, it's a tournament of cigars that go through this process that each one of them go through it the same way, more or less, I would imagine. And, you know, there's some parameters about what gets to be eligible and what isn't eligible. And we all set those differently. Um, and, you know, I don't think that there's another entity that spends more time about like the construction and the mechanics of the list, you know, than either, you know, Cigar Coop or Half Wheel in terms of trying to take that immensely seriously immensely serious and but the end result is like we still can't buy a lot of these cuban cigars we'd like to review sure and that's a glaring issue and i'm not sure we're going to solve it in 2023 so i i do think that and i haven't really thought of this before i i will say this the consensus is interesting and it's you know a good day at half wheel for page views and things like that but i i do think that it has made a difference in terms of i think it's gotten a lot of the people who produce these lists and who like the consensus and like being included on the consensus to think about what they're doing a bit more. Over time, I've seen more disclosures about why their lists look a certain way or why these cigars aren't part of it. And I don't think those disclosures were going on, or maybe I wasn't paying attention to them, but I really don't think they were happening at the same frequency that they once were. And whether that's, you know, Coop has always been very upfront about how his calendar is not aligned with the Gregorian calendar in the sense of what's eligible. Um, but we've seen other people that have, you know, Bob, the cigar guy, for example, on YouTube, just like points out, like, if you don't send me cigars, I'm probably not going to smoke them because I got enough people that send me cigars for free. And, yeah. you know, I don't make enough money off of this. And so I'm going to prioritize the ones that are here versus the ones that aren't. Um, and like, you can be like, well, that's, you know, Bob being biased or whatever, but I don't like, could you really disagree with Bob there? Like he's already got companies that are sending him cigars to review why not review that? Like, why go out and then buy a different cigar? That doesn't really make a ton of sense. Right. I appreciate in a vacuum, honesty, at least. His honesty on that, too. Like, and I, you know, I don't think there's anything wrong with accepting samples, by the way. Um, despite, you know, this industry has this thing about it. Um, I get it. But, um, but yeah, I mean, I, I have no issue with what he did with that. If that's what his criteria was, that's what his criteria was. You want to get on Bob's list? He just told you how you can get on his list if you want to get on it. John, anything else? We let this go. I, I have a, I have a few comments after John. Right. So. Go ahead, John. Do you have more? But I don't want to. I don't want no, to no. There, there were a lot of interesting. Actually, you know, as much as John's into it, I did go do some homework and look at some of this, uh, some of the spreadsheets that you put, Charlie, which was really good. Uh, I had just a couple of observations that were interesting. First of all, I guess you did a company breakdown of, of who scored the most. And General Cigar was like number two, but they didn't have one cigar on the top 25 of the consensus, which I thought was really interesting there. Um, and then the other thing I like what you did on this, and I probably should have did this, is you broke Knuckle Sandwich separate from Espinosa in that company list too. Uh, had you combined that, probably Espinosa would have been ahead of Drew State for fourth. So, I mean, and it showed that Knuckle Sandwich had a big impact on on what Espinosa did that year. Um, and then there was Habanos even had like was the eighth most was number eight on that company. So I thought that was and again, 
not a lot of people review Cubans, but I think it was some of the strengths of some of those print magazines that did it that ultimately gave Habanos a lot of points there. So uh, then there was a brand called Principe, Principal, um, which is a European brand as well. And they they scored like number 23. And that was surprising because it's a brand you just don't even hear about in the U.S. So I thought those, so I think there's some interesting things that you can learn from this, certainly. Um, the other comment I make is, you know, again, you uh, you look at this, Charlie, you pointed this out. You look at the strengths of the Drew Estate and the Drew Estate alumni thing. And that's been from 2015. We've seen that. That hasn't changed. I mean, Foundation and Dunbarton dominate this every year. Yeah, a couple of points, Coop. So, uh, Principal, I believe, is actually an American brand. Darren. Right. I, yeah. 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 It's not seen a lot um, here. Uh, there's a store in the DFW area, Industrial Cigar, that I believe is one of their better accounts here in the U.S. But, um, but Principal ended up on the list basically because of one. Entity. One day had like seven principals on the list, didn't he? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay. Andre. Andre Andres or Andre Diaz, a uh, cigar blog. But like that's a, a good example to the, the flip side of the geography. He's based in Europe. Yep. So he's not seeing a lot of the stuff that that we see and you know doesn't have access to it. But uh to the the general thing, like that is a common issue, and it's an issue for general cigar company. I would say Taiwahe falls in this list. Um, you know, Padron in a sort of different way, Romacraft, et cetera. Like if you release a lot of new cigars, and I don't think anyone did as many as General in 2022, uh, it's very difficult to sort of siphon or get those points into sort of one or two options. Um, and so, you know, General might score well overall, but it's going to be very inconsistent, most likely, about what they are. And, you know, I don't know if this was on the public version of this or when we were talking backstage, but like, you know, if you're on the general cigar sample list, I don't know how many cigar packages you get a year. I'm guessing it's probably at least one per month. I'm guessing there's probably more than one thing per month in it. You're probably not reviewing all of those things. And so just sort of the random distribution of what gets reviewed amongst yeah. cigars that general gets sent out, that causes that issue. That's been a, a sort of longstanding issue for Taiwahe, you know, which consistently does pretty well on the company rankings. But it's it's very difficult for Taiwahe to get a cigar, particularly in the consensus top ten, because people are just reviewing all sorts of different Taiwahes. Yeah. yeah, I mean, um Steve, but Steve's figured a way to win this consensus, I think, every year. I mean, he's 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 dropped those sample packs in November every year. And you know, cigar and here's what I'm gonna say related to the general comment. I do believe that Steve has a strong, he's very likable. Um, he is a likable guy. And when you have, when you have a bunch of Dumbarton cigars sitting and a bunch of general cigars sitting and you're getting to the end of the year, which cigars are getting reviewed first? It's Steve's. I mean, that's just a reaction. We see, we see it. We see it. Cause I know people who've done it. And so I've kind of tried to do a first in first out model. So, that doesn't happen. I don't think a lot of people do that, though. I think they look at, they prioritize, and they'll review the cigars that they like or the people that they like. And that's ultimately, I think, going to sway things. And Steve sending those things out in November gets the people fresh in their minds. They're going to get reviewed and uh, doesn't miss the uh, their deadline. You know, some other, there's some folks that do have some skewed calendars besides me now, but not a lot. I had a, an interesting hypothetical question for myself thinking about the Dunbarton and the success that Steve's had. And it's like, 
am I underrating how good the Dunbarton cigars are? Like at least, you know, overall in my head, like where I would rank them in the hypothetical, you know, company rankings of my own, you know, list. We sort of alluded to it earlier, the, you know, Fuente, Davidoff, Padron, Romacraft knocking at the door list. Like, because like, yeah, Steve ends up on a lot of lists and he's found a way like, and by the way, it's been a publicly discussed way of how to manipulate the consensus. But on the other hand, his cigars don't like, they don't show up in 13th place regularly. Like they're, there are a lot of times showing up in first, second, third, fourth, fifth mm. across a lot of different lists. And like, I don't like they, they found a way to rise to the top of the list that they're getting on. Um, and, you know, there's got to be something beyond just he's sending out the cigars at the right time to the right people. Um, it's interesting, Charlie, because you had three Dumbarton cigars on your list and two of them were on my list as well. It was the Tricky Troca 448 and the Paladin. Now, I, I wasn't a big fan of Saka Khan, but you had that one on it. But so I don't I think the answer is at least I don't think it's that. You know, I think I don't think you're overrating them by any means because we kind of had some overlap here. So I'd like to no, say no, underrating them, underrating them. Um, I mean, I had mine at two and ten. You had yours at six and uh six and ten well unfair that's all brooks's fault but like um <laughs> you know it's not my list it's, right, it's right. Half collective but i'm looking list. at the half wheel yeah okay I, so i don't know individually what yours were so that's hard for me to, to neither say do it. i <laughs> <laughs> no, i'm serious like i i don't care but no i just i've wondered like is it the case like it cannot just be that he's manipulated the list because the other part of this is like I'm willing to bet if somebody did the exact same thing that Steve did and, and sent out the samples at the exact same time to the exact same people, the results would not be the same. Yeah, it's, a, it's definitely a combination of I, I, good cigars and good marketing. Like, yeah, I, I, you could do both. Manipulation is kind of bad, but he's getting <clears throat> the cigars in people's hands. That's the key thing. You're getting the cigars in people's hands. But, it, it, you know, I think because um, we used to call it the Nick effect, right? Because, like, we would constantly talk about. Uh, so you know, one aspect of it is Nick is Nick Nick, Nick Malilo is also a very likable guy. We talked about it early in the show. He makes time for media. He he's very uh, approachable and he talks. So inevitably, every year when Nick has a cigar that is supposed to ship out in August, but actually ships out in November, as it happens every year, uh, those cigars get pushed to the front of the queue for review, and we certainly yep. saw that. Olmex, and I don't think there's anything wrong with that, but I think it, it is interesting to observe that both as a person who does cigar reviews and is in cigar media, and also from the outside perspective of seeing how many people do that, and it's quite a few. So it is it is definitely a, an aspect where you know people might feel they have a relationship with Steve or Nick, and as a result, they say, one, I like the guy, two, I think a cigar is probably going to be good, so I'm going to bump that in favor of something else that maybe I'm not familiar with, or maybe I don't have the same relationship with the, uh, with the brand owner. I don't think that's right or wrong. I just think it's, it's, it's an interesting aspect yeah. of sort of the cycle that we go through every year with the reviews and, and certainly the cycle of when the releases hit. Yeah. But my, I guess when I was going back to the point of generals getting their cigars in people's hands, maybe they fell off a little last year towards the end, but generals getting their cigars in people's hands. You know, yeah, but it's just it's too many different cigars. Too many, it's yeah. too many different ones. Exactly. It, it, I think that's you probably hit the nail on the head with that. Yeah, I think if Steve sent out ten different cigars to the same groups of people, it, the results would be very different. Right. Yep. Yeah. 
Yeah, because at the end of the year, it was uh, Bewitched in Sakakan was kind of the push at the end of the year, right? And um, I think that's those. Well, at least Sakakan definitely made the. Was he sending out Stillwell? He did not send out Stillwell. He sent the holidays out. No, he didn't send the holidays. No, he did not send the holidays. holidays. I bought. No, we bought those. Yeah. Yeah. All right, let's talk. Uh, no, he sent, he sent the Stillwells out last year. He sent the Stillwells out last, last year. Yeah, with the the holiday one for. Right. Yeah, but Stillwells screwed for the consensus because it's each cigar is well, a different blend. It, so. it was yeah. split. Yeah, it was split exactly. Yeah. yeah. Uh, cigar performance for 2022, and uh, I know that uh, Charlie, you and Coop have both published your numbers for kind of uh, review results and from previous years. Ours comes out Thursday, so I want to chat about uh, year over year kind of. Uh, Rate, I guess, rating performance 2022 compared to previous years. How did that stack up for you guys this year? And obviously, you don't have the if you don't have the numbers in front of you, but if you have a recollection of kind of how it went, I got them in front of me. Okay. Uh, so I looked at my uh, as far as what scoring had, um, I didn't have it in front of me. Let me pull them back up. I had the wrong one. <laughs> All right, now I have it in front of me. So, um, I had my average score was 88.72. Um, and that was down from 89.06. So it's not a huge drop, but it was a drop. Um, I also reviewed less cigars at, um, the past year. Mm-hmm. You know, just uh, I was I reviewed 152 and the year before I used 163. And I can attest that to some of the stuff I had going on at the beginning of the year personally, where I wasn't, you know, I couldn't do reviews. So I think though that was what kind of made the difference there although that probably would have been in that 163 mark so um and just about in just about every factory and every company was down in scoring there were a couple of anomalies that would have but for the most part um if you know i looked at you know i looked at companies and factories where i reviewed at least four cigars and most of them were all all down so um you know so i'd say it was down for sure and i think probably some of those construction problems i talked about kind of factored into that what about you guys, Charlie? Uh, we were up a half point on average. Um, I would say the thing that really stood out, um, it wasn't something I noticed until maybe November. Uh, Brooks at one point was responsible, you know, the way that we do it at half wheel for the top 25 is if, you know, our individual reviewers smoke three cigars, they score them. The score is 91 points or above. It's top 25 eligible. Um, at one point, Brooks was responsible for nearly like three quarters of the eligible cigars came from reviews that Brooks did. Um, it balanced out a little bit towards the end, but he was still responsible for, I believe, more than Patrick and I combined. And I was certainly the uh, the low performer there. I only contributed, I believe, five of the 28 eligible cigars. So you're the Aaron uh, Lewis for half well? <laughs> Uh, sure. Um, and uh, I was also responsible, <laughs> responsible for 10 of the 11 lowest uh, regular scores that we published or regular review scores that we published, which is not all that surprising, but maybe the margin of uh, defeat there on my behalf, uh, not great. Charlie, let me ask a question. And I thought I heard maybe Patrick say this in an interview once. And so you, if you want to comment yeah. on this, way. when you you guys have the way where you input stuff in, and you come up with the scores and you don't uh-huh. know what the score is going to be. But you guys have do you have a factor in terms of how people's like historically score or something that kind of level sets that? No. OK, then I misunderstood that. Yeah. And uh, 
like I'm the one that ultimately enters the scores, but I can tell you that once I finish cleaning up here, I have to go back and edit some of the words for tomorrow's review because I was surprised when I finished the review and, and entered the score in Excel. Uh, the score was a lot different than I was had written the review sort of thinking it was. Mm. So every once in a while, we run into those issues where, you know, we will make some changes in sort of the verbiage, not the score to right. uh, make sure that it doesn't stand out because it truly in that regard is a... Uh, you know, when we hit, we're done with the review, uh, we, we do not actually know the score. Yeah, I know it's something like Aaron does and I do is like we try to like say, all right, how did that score line up to your experience a lot of times? And I know, Aaron, you do that in every one of the videos. So yeah, you ask everyone on that. Yeah, because sometimes like, like Charlie just said, like you, you can have a, a thought and, you know, it's the results of the score kind yeah. of maybe for a bit of a loop there yep um but yeah development palace this year all four reviewers um up from last year which is odd you that's too not that's not our all of us uh not the trend not our trend uh we uh, our reputation is at stake uh from going down every year so um i don't know even though because even though we feel construction is down scores are up so maybe just flavor is better so um, we'll have to see how this kind of continues into 2023. We, who knows? We may start to become the, the we like everything site. So, so that's... no, <laughs> I, I have some thoughts on this because I, I gave this a lot. I know obviously I haven't had a chance to look at our numbers yet, but um, anecdotally looking over my own numbers, um, it seemed like for us, and I can't speak to anyone else, but it seemed like there was more of a push towards the center. So in the past, I feel like if you go back to 2018, 2019, even 2020, there was a larger um, deviation from the center. So you'd have a lot more, like Charlie was saying, you know, 10 of 11 might be the lowest scoring cigars. And you might only have three that are, or two that are sort of the highest scoring cigars, but there's so much the highest scoring cigar that they're more than one standard deviation beyond the average. And so for us, um, that seemed to become a lot more compressed. That is, when I looked at our highest scoring cigars and I took those cigars and sort of looked at our previous scoring, the results were, you know, only, and I'll have to look at the numbers to speak adequately, but only a certain number, a very small segment of those top scoring cigars from this year would have even broached the top 15 of years gone by. And to me, that says the standouts weren't as much of a standout as they've been in the past, at least, you know, from what we reviewed, but the same is true of the, of the low end, whereas there was a lot more, you know, threes and fours and those threes and fours have become more uh, below average instead of poor. And I certainly saw that in a lot of my scoring where, you know, cigar wasn't technically bad. So it, ended up in the average score rather than in the, you know, what we would call subpar or poor. Um, and, and that's certainly how, you know, a lot of my scoring trended. But again, looking at the top end, um, a lot of what scored in the top five for me would not have even been in discussion back in 2019. It would have been in the, you know, low teens, like 15, 16, 17 kind of category. So I find that interesting. All right. Um, any other topics that you guys want to breach for uh, 2022 before we start doing a look ahead into 2023? All right. 
if you think of something, bring it up. We'll, we'll kind of move on a little bit. Uh, so I think we already talked about uh, FDA uh, kind of a little bit going forward, but is was there any like, 2023 maybe predictions or thoughts around the FDA that we think may be occurring that we want to bring up or we can move on to the next topic? I don't want to be a dead horse if we already covered it. Uh, I think there's one thing on the horizon, depending on how the, the FDA uh, ruling goes in the lawsuit, which is, bear with me for a second here, but there's a scenario where uh, cigar companies are currently paying what's called user fees. Um, it's not five cents a cigar, but let's just call it five cents a cigar. So they pay up to 40.2 cents, 40.26 cents per cigar to import them to the U.S., um, and then they, there's an additional user fee that is paid to FDA. Uh, all tobacco products, except e-cigarettes and vaping, pay it. It was part of the original bill that created FDA's tobacco regulation, et cetera, et cetera. The money is then used to fund FDA. The money is actually set sort of in stone on a schedule. Um, and then the, you know, so it's like $780 million collectively. And then it's divided up based off of sales essentially for um, all industries. So cigarettes pay the, you know, majority of this, uh, but cigars pay, I don't know, around 13%, something like that, of uh, that number. There is a scenario where if the judge throws out the ruling in its entirety, or the the for premium cigars, where the cigar companies could then sue the FDA and say, we were forced to pay this five cents per cigar since 2016. And turns out you guys actually didn't have the authority to regulate our products as per this court ruling we would like that money back um and uh that process if you think the crown heads luciano drama was salacious <laughs> the process about how the cigar industry is going to go about getting this money and who gets their money first and who gets how is that money divided and how much do the attorneys take and how much does this attorney take versus this attorney that process could be real fun um, and uh, not not in a good way. Uh, but something to keep in mind is a sort of it, it, the next step if things go to plan is going to be the cigars you're trying to get some money back from FDA. And I don't think the contentious part is really going to be the industry versus FDA. It's what happens if they win that lawsuit and get that money. The judge says you are entitled to get some of that money back or all of that money back. How does that class action lawsuit type thing go yeah yeah it's fair all right uh next topic. Wait, wait, one go more ahead. thing on that yeah, Charlie, go ahead. do you do you think anything with flavors let's say results in the lawsuit this year with flavors because that's ultimately what it's heading for no i i think that um my prediction would be that fda is going to try to get its ducks in a row with the vaping stuff before it really tries to go after flavors um you know, we'll see. They they mentioned that it's you know still on the horizon and and whatnot. But I think that um, I I don't think that they unless the the White House in particular really puts pressure on them to go forward with that. I, I think that FDA uh, probably wants to have things cleaned up a little bit more internally before they embark on what's going to be a a real nasty fight with. Uh, not just flavored cigars, but in particular with menthol cigarettes, that's going to be a, a real bloodbath, I would have to oh, imagine. Yeah. Imagine that, yeah. All right. Uh, next topic is uh, around trade shows. And um, I'll start with TPE and the kind of item with TPE being the timing of it being 
uh, kind of in alignment with Pro Cigar, right? So we have two kind of competing events, uh, trade show where, you know, some of these brands would be um, presenting. They may still be, you know, portions of their staff maybe there. Do you see that being that that big of an issue for the TPE kind of performance for some of these brands that have that conflict, the Dominican companies? I don't. I don't. Okay. Um, most of the, I mean, the sales teams are going to TPE. Right. Um, and the TPE is never a home for a lot of the stakeholders. You know, a lot of right. them still don't really go to that. So I don't see it. I mean, the problem is going to be resolved next year because TPE is moving back to the last week in January. Um, so I, I don't see I don't see it as a as a big problem. I mean, it's more of a problem for guys like me, maybe, but um, right. not so much. I mean, there were some people that, like, for example, good examples like Justin Andrews, who was at Pro Cigar last year. He's going to be at TPE this year. Mm-hmm. And, that you know, that kind of makes sense. His customers are going to be there. So that's why he's going there. So there's not really a sense. But, you know, they have people down at General Cigar Dominicana who can run factory tours, you know, more than more – than, um, you know, so I, I don't see it as a big problem. Right. Yeah, I mean, I, I would venture to guess that last year there was probably fewer than a dozen people, two of whom are on this show right now, that were at both events. Um, Abe Flores of PDR uh, was at TP last year. I don't remember if Hochi Blanco from La Galera was at TPE um, last year. He certainly was there in 2020, I remember, but uh you know i would assume both of them are going to be at pro cigar they're both pro cigar members uh danny dickowich from la serena and tobacco plaza uh was at both events i suspect he's at pro cigar carrying on that sort of tradition but after that you you're it's basically media in a very select group it's coop myself cigar snob tobacco yeah. business i don't know if they were at pro cigar to be quite honest it, it's not they, a ton uh, of overlap. They, they've been there. They've been there in the past. Antoine's been down now. Um, Omar the freest was at both last year. Oh uh, yeah, Omar's another one that come Omar on. Was at, Omar was at both. Yeah. Yeah, but I I would suspect uh, he's gonna be a TPE. Or he told me. Yeah. Uh, the Bovida guys, Tim and Sean. You know. Yeah. Uh, oftentimes hang out with them at Per Cigar. I would imagine they're probably maybe they split up, but you know they're certainly gonna have a big presence at TPE like they normally do. So. No, not much. It's it's an annoyance, but really, I can't see it affecting that many people. Um, and in regards to PCA trade show, I'm not sure that there's a bit any kind of like big thing for 2023. But I think the biggest thing around it is the announcement of what the dates are for 2024 and kind of beyond, or where that's going to be. Um, you know, the t- there's talk of it moving up to an earlier date in the year. Uh, I think location is still not has not been announced. So, kind of thoughts on you know what what there may what may be happening with that. And Coop, you can kind of start that out. Yeah, Bear had on uh, Scott Pierce last night on the show, and and it seems that Scott said that there's definitely they're negotiating something for a venue, but they haven't signed the contract yet, so he didn't want to say it. But I mean, all the indications I'm hearing is that this this may be the last summer trade show we have. Mm-hmm. Where it is, is is the big question, but that's unless they just can't get a deal with anyone else, then they'll go back, then they can go back to the Sands, but the Sands are locked into those those early July dates because of the there's no other shows going on there. Um, right. and that will allow us to smoke there. 
So, but I, I, I mean, I think they, I think the PCA would like to move, uh, they would like to move that out of the sands. And I think they'd like to move the dates for sure. Mm -hmm. well, I think other than the location, the, the, the July timeframe, I think has been consistently the least popular timeframe in terms of, you know, if you had a magic wand, it can pick a time. Um, I think July has been universally unpopular. Um, even, even when we, used to have it in August. I think August was more popular than July, despite the temperature shift. Um, so I think, you know, for, at least from the anecdotal feedback from retailers, uh, I think all retailers have said either earlier in the year or later in the year would be ideal. Um, I just don't know, you know, whether later in the year for 2024 is even feasible. And I think, you know, certainly early rumors point towards a much earlier trade show rather than a much later trade show for 2024. From what I understand, they ruled out later in the year. Yeah. And I think the key thing, what's, I think what's going to be key with this whole thing is TAA agreeing to move their thing to October. So I think they, they right. think it's easier to move TAA to October. So I believe that's what's going to happen. So I guess, you know, because we're just talking talking hypotheticals and the dates won't be announced till much later. But, um, you know, talking about the 2023 impact, do you guys, you know, this is more of a guess, Charlie question. Do you, do you think if, like, say the, the PCA trade show moves up to late April, do you think that would have ramifications, like measurable ramifications for who decides to exhibit at TP and PCA? Who decides to, you know, exhibit it? Just to, like, is there going to be any switchover from manufacturers who've historically done both um, in terms of attendance? I think the smaller companies will follow like what they did a couple years ago. They'll do one or the other. I think the bigger companies, it won't matter. Yeah, I think that the question is probably less to do with the dates and more to do with the uh, Cigar Coop Boutique Cigar Association Pavilion and whether or not... Um... It's, called the, it's called the Cigar Coop. Was the, that's, uh, where the, that's where the BCA is exhibiting. Cigar Coop, yeah, right? and whether or not uh, PCA can find a way to reduce the costs to where it's, I think, a, a legit competitive difference. Um, I, I'm very curious to see how that BCA pavilion looks and, 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 you know, about what the prices are to get into it and, you know, how those companies feel like the ROI is in terms of, you know, obviously it's been very popular at TPE uh, with their sort of, and for those of you that aren't, that are consumers and somehow still watching this thing, uh, you know, you're talking about going from a minimum commitment of a 10 by 10, you know, space, uh, whereas at TPE, the pavilion is uh, five foot, by two foot of counter space, one, you know, shelf essentially with, you know, maybe four slots on it um, and uh, a stool. And I think that's it. Maybe you get a pen or something. Um, and, you know, the costs there are just, I don't know, probably 15% of what the, the absolute cheapest you could do it under the PCA's previous structure before they had some sort of, you know, pavilion aspect. So I think that's probably the larger consideration for these smaller guys. Um, but you know what? Like, I, I wouldn't be surprised if if the PCA still had space and was still accepting people. Um, let's say it's in April and TPE is back in January. It becomes a little bit of a challenge because of the you do have to submit some paperwork to the state of Nevada to 
or this obviously assumes that it's still going to be in Las Vegas, but um, you know, you can't just show up the week of kind of unannounced and exhibit and expect it to go well. Um, but I could totally see a scenario where people go to TPE, have a good TPE and are like, let's do it again. You know, hit that slot machine again. We'll go back to Vegas three months later or New Orleans or wherever it's going to be. Um, but I, I think it's more a question of can they figure out a way to reduce the cost? Because, um, you know, for some of these guys, I think it's just kind of an insurmountable. And if you're having to spend 15, 17, $18,000 at a minimum to exhibit at PCA and, and be there for the five or six days that you need to be there. Um, I, I think that's probably a, a bit of a tall ask. Um, considering you can, you know, go to TPE for probably less than $3,000 all in. You know, the, the whole, I've been very critical of the BCA, but I got to say, I, I think they've been getting a little better organized this year from what I've seen, um, which is good. I think they're, you know, they're starting to collect membership dues. They seem to be getting a little more structure behind it. But I look at two companies. Here are two companies I'll put into the, an example of this is HVC and Casa Cuevas, right? Now, these are companies that have t kiosks at TP, but they have decent-sized booths, you know, for their company size at, at PCA. I mean, if they're going to go into the pavilion, they, from what I understand, you have, to join the B, you have to be in the BCA to get into the pavilion. I, I haven't seen the BCA yet able to connect with companies like that yet. They, there's, a, there's a group of companies that they are connecting with. But I think they're really uber boutique companies they're connecting with. But it's some of those other ones that I'd say are very small companies that, but they're bigger than BCA companies. If that makes sense, I, I haven't seen them kind of get into that. And I don't know necessarily if those companies would downgrade their booths for a kiosk at PCA. You know, so it's going to be interesting to see who they can get to fill that pavilion. Yeah, but I mean, if you're the PCA, you don't want HVC taking its no, 20 by no, 10 you, or 30 by 10 booth and going into the pavilion. I, yeah. No, and that's why that's I was a little surprised. I was a little, that's why I was a little, but that's why I understand why they didn't, um, why they didn't just offer a, a pavilion to everybody. Because then, then you would have that problem. So they kind of said, all right, you have to be in the BCA. And if you, you, you buy into the BCA, maybe that is something you do. But I mean, theoretically, those companies could join the BCA and go downsize their booths. I just don't see them doing it, though, most of those companies. Yeah, I mean, look, I, I, I've suggested this on the retail side. I think that the PCA should be more interested in giving out first-time uh, attendees, you know, the opportunity to go to the trade show, at least to not have to pay the membership fee for a, just a one-time. You can show up once, and we'll let you get a taste of it. And then hopefully you like it enough that you're back again, you know, the next year. Um, I think that that would be an intelligent move from the PCA Me to too. figure out a way where maybe it's not completely free if you're a first time exhibitor at PCA but we'll take $1000 we'll give you a, you know a table with four chairs and you know or maybe you know we'll just give you the space and you can get the table and four chairs and the you know one shelf or whatever um i i just i can't i don't understand why they wouldn't be willing to do that to attract you know if you can convert 15% of those people to come back the next year that seems like it's a major step in the right direction in my mind i agree i heard they're doing some changes this year to the schedule um they're going to be are we staying until eight o'clock i don't know about that no but in terms of <laughs> what i what i heard is they're moving the breakfast the opening breakfast to friday and it looks like smart they're gonna move. Be, yeah i think that was a smart move they're going to be doing that 
And they're definitely trying to push the Friday as more of an experience type of day. They mentioned something on Bear Show that they have a multi-vendor blending event. They didn't say who's in it, but it's kind of going to be what Fuente and Jose Blanco did last year. I guess they're going to have a group of companies doing it. So I, I think it's good. They talked about bringing back a keynote speaker, which I don't know if that's necessarily a good idea. But um, but they, they're talking about doing that as well. So um, we'll, we'll, we shall see. And I, and I know they're putting more into the opening night party this year than they have in the past couple of years. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that with everything related to the PCA trade show, I, I think it very much a question of how can they get people that are currently sitting on their couch to show up. Yeah. And or, yeah, or the Friday, or the Friday, those people were sitting at Bar Luca, getting them engaged at the trade show, which I think is a key thing too. Because I mean, I, every year I see more people at Bar Luca than at the events. It seems like last year was different with the Fuente event, but but for the most part, that's what I've seen in previous years. Yeah, I mean, that's a I think that's a much more challenging and uphill battle, but and also one that's a lot less consequential in my mind. I mean, they need to to figure out not just obviously the the four big companies that pulled out, Altadis, Davidoff, Drew State General, none of whom are um, listed as exhibitors for 2023, at least as of the, uh, last week, I believe, is the last time I looked at the map. But, um, you know, there are a, a laundry list of people that have not been to a PCA trade show in the last four or five years. And... Uh, I, I would have to hope that the number one goal is figuring out how to get those people back and get some of these newer companies that are also sitting out, you know, to, to show up. So my question is, and we're building hypotheticals and hypotheticals, but provided you are able to say, keep it in Vegas and move the date up to April, and these are a lot of hypotheticals, and you get into a convention center where you're able to reduce costs, would you feel that that's enough on its own to bring, say, any of the big four back for 2024? Or do you think that there are, the other issues are still sort of the major overriding issues, cost aside? I think there's bigger issues than that. Yeah, I think these issues are beyond when it, when it is. So I, yeah. don't, I don't I don't see that happening. I think that there's always a chance that any of them could come back. Um, I think in some cases, it's probably going to take some leadership changes um, at these companies at a minimum for that to happen. I think that some of the the direct players involved at Altadis Davidoff Drew State General, I think all of whom are still basically there, yeah. if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, I mean, maybe Jim, Young would, <laughs> maybe Jim Young would be the exception. But... Um, I think that there are much larger issues. I also think the other problem that they've now created or it's been created in the vacuum of them not attending is like, you know, look at Aaron's year of the rat banner back there. Like Drew state has found an alternative to PCA to do their product launches. Um, and I don't think that they feel like they're hurting the trade show experience, like hurting for a trade show experience. Um, I, I think that they probably feel pretty confident that they don't need to be a part of this. Um, I, I think it may be less clear with Altadis in general in terms of, you know, have they figured out an alternative? But, like, I, I haven't heard a single one of them in private mention any sort of, like, oh, we feel like we're missing this type of value that we get out of PCA um, by not being there, um, let alone, you know, sort of a softening of the stance on the ROI or the other non-trade show-related issues they have with the PCA. 
I do think that the sec. I, I think the last part though. I do think there's maybe been some minute progress in the the relationship status, but um, you know, in terms of of seeing them at the trade show, it would have to take a a ship turning around in a pretty dramatic manner. Jonathan Drew was at the Barn Smoker last year, and when he was talking, he talked about how Drew Estate was changing the channels they're using to introduce products right now. And it's exactly what Charlie said. That there's other ways they're introducing products now through Freestyle Live, the bar, and it, the timing releases with the Barn Smoker events. So they've gone down a road already, and I think for them to kind of go back, it would be a major change in their budgeting and planning cycles. Like, I wouldn't see it happen. Maybe I don't see it happening for two years just because they're probably already in the 2024 planning cycle deep already. So, you know, and these big companies have big planning cycles. So, you know, it's it, it, if someone comes back, if someone would come back fast, it would probably be in a small booth this year. But I don't think it's happening. I don't think you'll see anyone back this year. Oh, I, this year, I think is if they came back, it'd be a there's a I guess a couple of larger booths at the front of the show. But it does seem like we can probably figure out who those are reserved for. And I, I yeah, think it'd be a real. Yeah, but I, I think it would, still, it would pro- they, but, but probably even with their product introduction, I'm saying. No, I I agree with you. Yeah. Um, I'm curious for the three of you, like, do you think any of them should be back? Like in terms of like, it would be helpful, for example, for Altadis to come because it would allow them to do things they're currently not doing. And it feels like that's a need. See, I think general would benefit the most because of the number of products they're introducing that you, you really get them visibly on display. So I think I think they would benefit the best to do that. But based on the sales numbers, they'll probably tell you we don't need to do it. You know, they've done it before. So um, I don't think Davidoff will. I don't see Davidoff going back anytime soon. I think their model is really not a trade show model unless they want to focus on uh, Alvo and Camacho. Because, you know, Davidoff's appointed merchant. It's an appointed merchant model. So do you really need to have the big bang for Davidoff there? Yeah, I mean, I, I outside of Foundry, I just can't think of a release that General had at a trade show where it was like, oh, they did this crazy activation at the show, and that really helped them um, with this brand going forward. Other than maybe you just see, you know, you kind of see the products. Like the way they're doing it right now is they're, they're you know, their sales reps are just giving them like sales sheets beforehand. Um, but they're selling the products. That's what I'm saying. So I don't really, as much as I think they'd benefit from having it there, I don't see, I don't see a financial need for them to do it. Yeah, I mean, general is interesting in the sense of like maybe they send Forged there and try to get yeah. those brands to have some extra shine. But like, uh, what's the point of doing a Macanudo launch at PCA? Well, they do, like they're just they could, they could buy a brand and do what they did last year. Send send their send their team in last year. So buy well, a that's brand. the perfect that's the perfect uh, segue to the next topic, which is mergers and acquisitions. Do we are we seeing any kind of significant play on those in twenty twenty three? And we see the Rue one hundred one yeah. from last year, but do we see anything I, I on the horizon? See that. I didn't see that as a major acquisition last year. I mean, it wasn't even something that was announced at that board of directors. You know, I mean, it wasn't reported by the STG or anything. It was it was a small thing. So. In, in, in the whole scheme of things. But I can see maybe something like that happening again this year. I don't think Altidus will be tar- – I mean, if anyone's going to do it, it's probably general. I don't see the other three doing it. 
Charlie, any thoughts? Um, I would not be surprised if we see another one in Q1. Okay. <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised if we see another one in Q1. It may be a bigger one. Any games you want to float? No. Because it would be... I don't... Uh... Yeah, I, I mean, I I wonder, like, unless you're getting it in a fire sale, I just don't, I, I think we've had a long history at this point of these acquisitions. It's tough to point out the ones that you say were really successful. Um, it's really, really tough to find one where you say, oh, they acquired this brand and then, you know, they really got their money's worth for it. Um, in my opinion, there's only been three in the last 10 years. It was Swisher with Drew State, Jay Cortez with Oliva, and then General with Royal Agio. Those were the three. The other ones were, were really just kind of – those were company acquisitions. The other ones were just, hey, we, we, we got the acquisitions to these brands. Yeah, and I mean in the case of the first two, you're talking about two – scenarios where companies were basically acquiring a premium cigar brand that I, I guess well swisher had royal gold right right before drew state but you know basically zero premium cigar presence between the two of uh jay yeah. cortez and and swisher prior to those yeah. acquisitions so that was acquiring a whole business unit you know whether it's you know Tarano or camacho or you know I don't know how many more are missing here. You know, Oliva with uh, the dormant uh, brands we were talking about earlier um, out of Honduras. Um, you know, Cubaliados. Yeah, like, yet to see, like, why couldn't have Oliva just come up with a new Siri, uh, not X, don't do that again, but, you know, a Siri T, right? And, like, was it, that beneficial to get Kubaliados? I don't think so. And in, particularly in a world when the FDA concerns about grandfathered brands are not what they were in 2016, I, I just sort of, at this point, if you're acquiring someone, you probably are getting them at a really good price would be that's my guess. Saying, yeah, that's what I was saying. They probably were good prices with that. You know. Because you, know, you look probably. at what Davidoff had to do to Camacho and it's like, okay, so they bought the brands and the factories and not the fields. <laughs> they built a new factory and they redid every single brand except Baccarat, like, uh, you know, and they, you know, got rid of most of the sales force they acquired as well. Um, I think that makes it real tough, uh, you know, for these to see a yeah. uh, sort of uh, a major acquisition, particularly coming off of, you know, how strong sales have yeah. been since, you know, the start of COVID, you're probably getting an inflated price. Um, you know, if you're paying fair market value, and I don't think anyone's paying fair market value for being, quite honest from what i understand yeah. yeah all right uh quantity of new releases in 2023 do we see a decrease increase stays the same kind of new release schedule john um the only comment i had here was um there was a lot more new releases this year than i was anticipating but at the same time i would also say there was a lot of very uh, established brands who realized that you can't just continue to release new releases indefinitely. And so certainly the number of Vitola line extensions was much higher, I thought, this year than I've seen in previous years. So I kind of, you know, my non-magic 
all here is I kind of see that continuing where I, I, I think if anything, there might be a dip in the number of new releases and in, in a greater increase in the number of line extensions, excluding new company launches sort of from that conversation, but more existing established companies. Cooper, Charlie, thoughts on that? It sounds like from when I talked to General, it sounds like they are going to cut back the releases from last year. They ain't going to be as high, but there'll still be a lot of them. But so I don't know, you know, that number may go down, but that was such a high number to begin with. But, you know, I think Altidus is due to have some more releases this year for sure. Um, Maybe it's flat. Maybe it's flat. I'd expect an uptick. I, I think we'll continue to kind of see what we've seen in the second half of 2022 carry over. And I don't think it'll really slow down maybe until next year. Um, I, I just think that, you know, if you're a company and you're seeing your sales numbers are probably not increasing um, because of the sort of post COVID bump wearing off and you look around and you see all these new products shipping, uh, I think you probably think to yourself, you know, I either got to get with it or I run the risk of sort of being overrun here. Um, it's not like retailers are going to start telling cigar companies in mass, like, please stop releasing new products. I mean, that's just not. And, and quite frankly, we aren't either. Like, we may poke fun at it or complain. There's so many releases from general. But, you know, before we started this live show, we were talking about how at the beginning of 2022, there were very few new products to review. And the, yeah. what new products there were were coming from you know, probably fewer than 10 manufacturers on a consistent basis. So I, I do think we're going to see more. I also think the fact that you've got, um, you know, some newer companies that have experience in the cigar business, whether that's, you know, Osgener or Freud, um, you know, Rick Rodriguez and Gus over there at West Tampa, I suspect those companies are going to try to build out their portfolio. So if you add, you know, two more regular production lines to each of them and then some limited editions and, you know, that'll immediately wipe off the six reductions general is going to do this year. Um, and I just, yeah. I don't get the sense from, you know, the other, like, I don't see anyone really slowing down, maybe Oliva, but I, I would suspect not. All right. Yeah, yeah no, it's, um, I agree with, I, I kind of agree with that part. Um, I mean, EPC had a lot of releases last year for them. That was, that was a larger number. Uh, as well. I don't know if that will continue this year, you know, so we'll see. I mean, uh, Oliva, Oliva just in general, I mean, if they do one release, it's probably more than, you know, they've done, you know, last few years they've released one or a few releases. So they seem like they're doing a, a little more in that area right now. You know, Rocky yeah, I think with, pop with the Cortez stuff. thing, I think that they're going to be pretty consistent. Yeah. I think they realize that too. Um, and, you know, I think they still have a lot of work to do to, to build out Cuba Aliados. I don't know if the next phase is coming. I don't know if Puro's Indios is coming out this year or not. I mean, there was hints that the trade show was coming out this year when we talked to them. So, um, you know, and I don't know about Davidoff, what Davidoff's going to do. You know, they, they haven't put out a core line in a while. So uh, it'll be interesting to see on all their brands. Yeah, I don't know what the last one would have been winston churchill uh late hour was probably the last core line for davidoff and that's four or five years ago. davidoff proper yeah but davidoff proper i don't think they've i mean 
Dominicana was a limited release. So, and then Camacho's done the Factory Unleashed, which are limiteds. And then the Carib was the last album release. Yeah, that was the one that came to mind. So they, def- they definitely slowed down in terms of that. But I think you could, I could say David is probably ripe to put something out this year. It's been a while. All right, let's get the topic of uh, responsible marketing. Um, has, has that whole discussion kind of run its course and fizzled out? Or is there like a bigger uh, kind of clash that may occur this year moving forward from that? According to Glenn Loop. Yeah, go ahead, Charlie. According no, no, go ahead. Glenn, according to Glenn Loop, something's going to come out once Meta's remediation comes out, and they're not—they're holding off on that announcement until this is what he told us until that announcement's made from Meta. Because I guess there's things that will factor into that on how they approach it. So we won't probably see anything from PCA from a standpoint on that until. Until that happens, you know, the, the companies that made a big stink about this last year were really not big, big companies or big releases. So, there was, you know, the ones that made noise were very small companies that did this or small operations. Right. All right, Charlie, what was your thought on it? Oh, I was the one that made the big stink about no, it. No, no, I so. know, but you were uh, kind of jumping in with Cooper jumping in. At the oh, beginning, yeah, so. no, I don't think so. I think that, um, yeah, I, I, to Coop's point, it was a pretty isolated group of actors that, you know, at least certainly in the half wheel editorial that got called out. And I don't think any of their behavior is going to change much. Uh, so, yeah. And it's not like, you know, I don't, I don't think the general is doing an increased amount of irresponsible marketing or a decreased amount. Like, I, you know, they got the yeah. uh, American Chinese food series and pretty much everything else. It's, I don't think you can really make much of a claim that there's any sort of issue beyond the the food like packaging. But uh, yeah, I don't I don't see see that being a a major topic. I think it ran its course. I mean, uh, I saw somebody sent me a video of uh, a YouTube video of Pravada that had some you know food theme marketing in it that was relatively recent from the last few weeks. Uh, mm. I haven't heard a peep about that you know outside of. Uh, the Pravada universe. So yeah. Um, yeah, I'm guessing it's probably run its course. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, any other topics for uh, kind of 2023 and beyond, or are we going to be ready to wrap this thing up? Well, I guess the last one I want to make, you know, we've talked a lot about the written blog piece, the written websites, whatever you want to call it going down. Do you see that trend guys continuing next year into this year? We just we we haven't seen a lot of new written sites come come out lately. I mean, I don't see necessarily like a significant change to that. There might be the normal kind of attrition, but I don't know that I would see a. I I wouldn't see one way or the other. I wouldn't see a big drop. I wouldn't see a big increase. I think it would kind of just be kind of the natural. You maybe you gain a couple, you lose a couple, kind of a thing. Yeah, I mean, I think we focus a lot on the ones that you know, have sort of departed. But the other thing is like, when's the last time a site like just kind of fell off the face of the planet? Like, you know, Stogie guys had sort of a, a, like a prolonged cancerous, wind cancerous down. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, but I'm just saying, like, it's been, I can't think of the last time it was just like, oh, they were posting three times a week and now they're suddenly gone. Um, I I think that uh, that hasn't really happened. And there have been some new ones. I mean, Pravada has Cigar Public. Mm -hmm. There's the ATF magazine that was at the trade show. I don't know what the sort of long-term outlook is for that. So there were some new ones or relatively new ones in 2022. Um, You know, I don't think that... uh, I suspect that the market is still sort of the same, which is that it's going to be pretty daunting for anyone to really launch um, their own thing independently. I do think that, you know, we've quietly seen the retailers get much, much more involved, um, you know, with uh, the sort of whatever you want to call it, but the less obvious marketing. Um, that was a big outlet for YouTube in particular, where um, you look at the the most popular cigar YouTube channels and, you know, with some limited exceptions like Cigar Obsession and Cigar Vixen, you know, the, the people that have 25,000, 30,000 plus subscribers, pretty much all the rest of them were retailers. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, I don't I don't think that that is going to change. And that's not new. I mean, you know, for a very long time, Lou Rothman's column in JR Cigar was probably the most read regular piece of content um, in the industry. And Alex Fenson, when he was at Cigars International, you know, certainly had a, a big role with the sort of consumer-faced marketing aspect on their regards. So that's nothing new. It just sort of takes new faces. But I would suspect that it's more, you know, at least for the time being, TikTok and whatever. My hope is that uh, there's no cigar metaverse-type boom that we have to get in on. But, uh, you know, maybe we're reviewing cigars and Apple glasses in two years. Exactly. You know... um, yeah, I think as far as the trade show goes, the last written sites, Charlie, of the online media guys, not counting the magazines, or the retailers are, are really you and me, Half Wheel and Coop. I don't think there's a lot of written – Smoking Tobacco did a little this year on it, but that wasn't their focus. So, I mean, for the most part, I, I saw a big uptick this year in what we did. Even though we did video on Coop, I saw a big uptick on our, our numbers this year at the trade show because – there was less, you know, articles from I think the media sphere. So I don't know if I don't see that changing. I think everyone goes to the trade show and they want to shoot a video, which it, it perplexes me. Why? Because it's, to me, it's more expensive to do it. Like it's videos, it seems more expensive. So I, I, I kind of just wonder why, but less of a barrier to entry, really. Yeah, I think. Yeah, or it's the medium that they're consuming the most of, and so they just sort of, you know product no, your environment but i yeah. i think the one thing about the trade show and you know i don't mean to close on digging it the pca trade show again but like the other part of this is is that the trade show is not as relevant as it was particularly if you're a media member 10 years ago 10 years ago it was very difficult to get half the companies at the trade show to respond to an email yep. venture to guess that's not really the case anymore i know that there are some that are you know still tough to i mean you know me trying to get replies from you know Fuente and Padron on a consistent basis isn't exactly going well, and I feel like we have decent enough relationships with both of them. But uh, you know, other than you know a select number, most of these companies are pretty responsive. They have social media platforms that are getting re- updated regularly. There are ways to you know get these cigars without having to necessarily show up at the trade show to get a whole bunch of free samples. I, I think that that's just sort of you know a push pull factor that's made it so that you know gauging who's at the trade show doing what is probably not the best indicator of um 
you know, the current state of media. It certainly is one indicator, but uh, I don't think it's, it, you know, 2010, it was like, if you're a cigar blogger and you're not at the trade show, what are you doing? Right, right. That was definitely the case. Um, you know, but at the same time, like, I'm not going to TPE this year because I'm going to Pro Cigar. And that was basically Pro Cigar gets me bigger numbers. Um, but I know I can get the information on the releases from from TPE. So I don't, I don't, I feel I have enough relationships there that that won't be a problem getting that information. Maybe Builder will be a problem, but, but otherwise, um, you know, everyone else will be, uh, I think, pretty easy to do. Yeah, that's interesting. It's the opposite for us, both in terms of where we're going and also the, you know, the ROI of these festivals is just not particularly great with the exception of humidor auctions. Yeah, maybe in fairness, Charlie, I haven't been to TPE since 2000 either. So, you know, when I went since 2000, yeah, because uh, uh, 2020. I, did oh. I say 2020? 2020, yeah. 2020, yeah, 2020, yeah. It's so like, I man, I'd love to hear those stories. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but uh, but I but I look at the the, the festival stuff did get very I mean, we had, had very good numbers from the Pearl Sabor this year, so which I was very surprised about. So that's good to hear. I'll tell Patrick tomorrow when we have the meeting about how our Pearl Sabor numbers weren't all that great. <laughs> well, your numbers are probably still higher than mine, so let's put it like that. So, <laughs> um, yeah, you know. Uh, what I told Patrick is we'd better off reviewing cigars than sending people to go cover festivals if there's no humidor auctions. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Any other topics, guys? We'll put a bow on it. All right. Charlie, Coop, I want to thank you guys for joining us. This is always fun. Um, I think one of our favorite shows to do every yeah. year. So thank you guys for joining us. Uh, thank you, John, for joining and participating as well. Um, and thank everybody that was watching. Uh, I think we just got wrapped right around on the three hour mark from when we actually kind of went live, went live, uh, to start the show. So, uh, thank you for joining us. Uh, shoot us any questions you still have. Uh, I'll work with these guys to see if we can get an answer for something that we need to reply back to. But, uh, thanks again. We'll catch you on our normal review recaps. Uh, tomorrow, our um, value cigar list uh, publishes. So, you can check that out to find out which uh, cigars have the best bang for the buck. And then Thursday, uh, we will publish our uh, kind of behind the review numbers. Uh, so everybody's average, um, average by country of origin, all that stuff, price point, things like that. So uh, for those geeks out there, you'll get your fix uh, for another one of those lists. So uh, thank you all for joining us, and we will catch you on the next one.